Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, you Okay. What happened? Help us. What the hell is she saying? I don't know. Just get us some water. Get help. What are you doing? Get moving. Dude. Mickey's dead. That's Nikki. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps razzle dazzle season three episode 14 expose it's time to bury nikki and paolo alive josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom uh also known as the cobra secretly did i spoil that Damn it! Why did you out me, Josh? Now oh, I'm gonna man. have to kill you. I was supposed to save that for a dramatic reveal, right? Instead of just a kind of matter-of-factly statement. Don't that you've worry been the about the it, baby. Time. It's okay. <laughs> Let me just shrug off the jacket draped casually over my shoulders, oh, and I hide this God. briefcase of money. Mike, you, so with Stranger in a Strange Land, we're talking about the episode that's the most popularly known as like the worst episode of Lost, right? I think mm-hmm. I think here with Expose, we've reached the most controversial episode of Lost, short of the finale. Yeah, well, actually, I would say we're across the sea, right? But yeah, we're, that's but, uh, not there. Across the sea isn't super divisive, though. You know, I think like across the sea, like most people are on the line of like, Aah. that's a, that's exactly what I was about to say, because I know that we're going to get to it. Actually, there was an interview with Damon and Carlton before the finale where they said they were talking, sort of ruminating over the history of loss, much like we'll sort of ruminate over the history of loss so far in this episode. And they were saying, you know, oh, there were polarizing episodes like across the sea or maybe to a lesser extent expose, but I would, to your point, 
flip it and reverse it, Missy Elliott style. I think that uh, Across the Sea definitely comes down on the negative much more than the positive, whereas I do think that Expose probably has the most divided opinion across the Lost fandom, which will, spoiler alert, reflect in It'll the impact. rankings, <laughs> in the, ra- the ratings from our own listeners here. I think you and I are kind of on the same page, maybe to varying degrees. To but, varying degrees, but I but I expect that we actually are on pretty close to the same page, even right, if I think, our I rankings think, yeah. are a little different. I think that uh, like our, our ba- opinion is the same. Or, it just it yes. just matters as to yes. like how we rate a lost episode. Exactly. That'll that'll be the big difference. A hundred percent. Yeah. So so I think like for me like maybe divisive is is the word because like expose feels like it's an episode you love or you hate, uh, mm-hmm. and like I think if you hate expose. I, I have yet to hear like the really compelling reason as to why you hate Expose, at least without taking into account the full picture of Expose, without taking into account that like you only hate Expose because you hate Nikki and Powell and everything that they stand for. Um, well, you're not alone. Like I feel like the creators of Lost are also like, <gasps> yeah, we screwed that up. That wasn't mm-hmm. good. We got to bury them alive. And I think like the gripe seems to be like you should have just like pretended like they never existed just like right ki- kill it's, an it's, episode don't, exactly don't it's do like this. uh we acknowledge the fact that it's a mea culpa i think we can also talk about the timing mm-hmm. of it all we spoke about this a lot when it comes to episodes particularly in this uh post hydra arc of like stranger in a strange land trisha tanaka i feel like expose is sort of part of that discussion as to when you're putting together the the puzzle pieces of this latter two-thirds of season three of lost why here why now? And we can we can certainly talk about that. But we talked about this last week, how just monumental of an episode The Man from Tallahassee was. So much happened in both the mythos of John Locke blowing up the sub. Right. You know, we finally have the the a lot of the the eight one fivers come together with the others here. And then we leave that behind completely for an episode as we deal with all this other shenanigans going on on the other part of the island, which we sort of have been doing on and off. You know, we again look at Stranger in a Strange Land versus Trisha Tanaka is dead as as a good example. And I could imagine that part of it as well came down to like, why was this episode at this part here? Which again, flashback to when we talked about Trisha Tanaka is dead. That was a very uh, big complaint at that time, too, of why are we suddenly doing this sort of like, quote, fluff episode amidst all this other intense stuff going on? Yeah. Uh, so we, we had had this question from Daniel Brennan who said, I didn't start watching Lost Live until the end of season three. So I'm always curious about the fan experience from the time before. Before I was on board. Did fans know that Expose was going to be a Nikki and Paolo episode? Were people excited? Were they confused? Um, and my experience and my memory of this is, yeah, like because like typically if you were like an extremely online Lost fan, uh, you would know episode titles and you had the ability at least to know um, who the centricity was. And right. so it was it was known that the Nikki and Paolo episode was coming up. And I think there was a lot of groaning involved. I think there was a lot of like, oh, really, these guys. Uh, but no, I could- not to mention, I mean, it was on paper continuing a trend, right? Of like, again, we've gotten some really stellar flashback episodes, but I would say probably at least two thirds of them were mad verging on not very good. You know, when you have a season that's filled with Locke, you know, being on a pot farm right. and Kate marrying Nathan Fillion and Sawyer right. going to jail and Jack going to Thailand, it's like, Oh, great. Just add another one onto the pile of here's Nikki and Apollo, two characters we really don't care about, and we find out their backstory. Right, right. But I think that the thing that no one knew, at least I didn't know, was that the episode was going to be uh, their death episode. Uh, but yeah. not only that it was going to be their death episode, but it was effectively their death episode from the very, <laughs> from the very beginning. That the very first scene, essentially, like in the first, you know, 
pre-credits uh, act uh, is going to involve Nikki, quote unquote, dying. Uh, yeah. And that the first time that you would see Paulo in the context of the modern day would be his dead body in the jungle. So all of that was was really, yeah, really it's, it's, surprising. It's weird to, th- to think about the fact that Nick and Paulo technically do not speak, I will say, cogently in the present timeline. All of their dialogue is seen in the past. And this structure is also not unfounded, right? This is sort of a spiritual sequel to the other 48 days, which is essentially a, hey, let's take a look at what was going on while 815 is sort of brilliant, uh, valiantly fighting the fight. I think it's during almost the first more, two though, like a, like a prologue for the brig. Like, I think that mm. the, br- the brig is an episode where the flashbacks take place on the island, but there is a main island story. And in Expose, the flashbacks take place in the past, but there is a main island story, and there's well, a then, main, then you, then there is a main Nikki and Paolo story, Mike. It's just that they cannot move, and they yeah. cannot express to anybody that they are still alive. So then let me, just, let me, they're let just me amend that and say, there. I'll say then, then it's a, a, it's a sequel to maternity leave from that perspective, yeah, right? I think that that's on, on, on island flashbacks with the main island story based around the same character. Yeah. Sans uh, hammer banging. Um, oh my god. I, though I think some people would rather hear, uh, you know, a straight episode of hammer banging and screaming than seeing Nikki and Paolo again if you look at these ratings. Yeah, but but uh, Damon and Carlton both agree that uh, Expose is the most polarizing episode in an interview with Mike Ryan. Um, they, they said that the one that was the most polarizing was Exposé, the Nikki and Paolo episode, which we loved. And in that case, there were definitely fans, particularly ones who treated the show really reverentially, that couldn't stand it and they hated it. So there was a little bit of a sense of a division on that episode because we totally dug it and we loved it. That's the episode I think is probably the most polarizing. And I, I completely agree. I think that this is, uh, Exposé is like a stress test for where you're ultimately at with Lost. Do you take mm. it uber seriously? Is it about the mythology? Is it about the story even less so than the mythology, like the character storyline? Um, or is it a show that... Uh, so I, I was I was watching Expose in uh, the Potion Recaps patron Discord uh, this past week. Uh, and I did it as, as one of the weekly Wednesday night uh, watch parties that we do in there. If you didn't know that we do weekly Wednesday night watch parties in the Potion Recaps patron Discord, there's another reason to potentially sign yeah. up. Patreon.com. to the list. Patreon.com slash Potion recaps every wednesday night just about i think it's gonna be tuesday night next week just uh, i, I, yeah, I will say i think uh reasons to join the just discord are worth their weight in diamonds even, yeah <laughs> even though these diamonds these diamonds do not weigh very much apparently we gotta talk about that uh <laughs> and so while, while i was in there i i said something that i actually said on the mandalorian podcast that i do with kevin and latanya um earlier in the week which is that like the mandalorian is secretly at it when it's at its best it's like it's the Mando and Baby Yoda hangout show, right? Like, mm-hmm, it's a hangout mm-hmm. show where, like, you're every week, like, you're just, like, on a different mission with those guys and just, like, having a fun time. And I think that oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes Lost does these hangout episodes. It's why I love Trisha Tanaka so much. It's the best hangout episode for me. Expose is kind of more in line with the hangout episode stuff. There's some mythology stuff. We're, we're going uh, back and... Re- we're, well, we're going back and we're revisiting season one. We're going back and we're seeing different sides of things. Uh, so there's like mythology there, but it's ultimately more hangouty in yeah. like the story of the eight one fivers on the beach and how they're interacting and sort of the the you know it, it's like kind of like this tales from the crypt like creep show type of lost episode. Uh, and so it's like something that's doing something more genre heavy. Uh, in in, right. in mean, a way, I've always subtitled this episode CSI Lost because this really is something that. We don't ever really get on Lost again, which is this was a completely 
self-packaged like murder mystery it's great almost yeah. uh where um, unfortunately the you know our sort of our ragtag crew of forensic scientists do not solve the puzzle we end up doing so because we have the information but it's something distinctly different but to your point i mean i, I think it does bear a lot of comparisons to trisha tanaka is dead in terms of again it, it's this sort of based on 815 it's not necessarily you know i would push back against the idea that it's really mythology based we really don't get too much like new information outside of the fact that we get the confirmation that Ben and Juliet were indeed like grooming Jack or at least really watching him to to pick where he would be. And obviously we know now that Paolo was not pooping in the Pearl Station. In fact, I don't think anyone will be because the damn toilet tank is full of Russian dolls. Yeah. So, but my, I guess my, my question to you is, because again, let's, let's talk about timing here. Is expose impacted not even by the fact that it comes after the man uh, from Tallahassee, but the fact that it comes so soon after Trisha Tanaka, which to your point has a similar sort of maybe not tone, but maybe almost a similar sort of purpose and structure to it. Maybe in the weekly, maybe in the weekly, but I don't think so in in like the like maybe on the first watch is what I would say. But I don't don't think so, so much on the second watch. I really don't. I think that. I feel like we are closing the book on book one of Lost with season three. This is what I've been saying for a very long time that I that I really view this show as a two part show. Act one is almost over, and we're getting into Act two pretty soon. Uh, mm-hmm. Once we're through the Looking Glass, uh, and so this is like this is not the last moment that we're going to get something that has like significant hangout elements on on Lost, like uh, an episode that's more whimsical than it's not. Even if right. the whimsy is pretty bleak, uh, with with what early it's, it's blimsy, you know. But like, I I think that um, I I don't think that that's an impactor for me at least. But mm-hmm. I I can't speak for everybody. There may be a subset of people that feel that way. For for me, I feel like when when you consider that we are rushing towards the end of that first part, we're like surviving the day to day, unlocking the immediate mysteries. Those are the priorities. The getting to know you stuff is still a priority here. Like solidifying a little bit more of like, who are you in relation to these other characters that you're stranded with? Like those are sort of like the primary focuses here. And then the second act, starting with season four, we're on the other side of the hill and we're, you know, snowballing downstream. I don't know if you snowball downstream. <laughs> I was going to say, those are mixed metaphors. We're on, an, we're on a, a mountain covered in snow, and the snowball is accumulating snow, and then it's just going to dissipate in a stream, according to some easy people's come, easy go. interpretation of the ending, a.k.a. they didn't like it. Uh, so I, I think that, um, for, for me, I am, I am, I am very, for, not just forgiving, but perhaps even um, unapologetic about my love for this type of stuff on Lost because I think that if if the story of Lost ultimately does land for you if it does if it if it evades the dissolution in the stream and instead plows <laughs> through a village and leaves major impact oh that's a dangerous snowball uh then I think it's because of episodes like Trisha Tanaka like Exposé that enrich the characters that imbue you with a sense of fun um but it doesn't land for everybody and and I and I get that I just have not yet seen like the supremely compelling reason to outright bash this episode it, and to to put a finer point on it without identifying the person somebody like submitted a zero uh in the ratings for or it was not Ben Martell <laughs> it was not Ben Martell uh, but somebody uh, submitted a zero for expose and uh, I believe in the rationale and I may be conflating this with a different person um who gave it a low score uh basically saying like 
this is the ep- I I don't watch this episode. I skip this episode. Well, if you're never going to let yourself reevaluate it uh, with the distant, you know, with the benefit of time and and distance, then. You know, you're not giving it a chance. And I would say, yeah. say listen, listen, if Josh, had to, if, Josh could, minutes. if Josh could put up the stones to rewatch Fire Plus Water, an episode he currently he usually skips in his rewatches, you could do the same with Expose. All right. So let's go forth into the jungle. Expose directed by Stephen Williams, written by Kitsis and Horowitz. Uh, I think maybe their best episode of the show, personally, but we'll... We, a bit we, of a low bar to clear. <laughs> no, they, they have some good ones in there. I've, they have some good no, ones. They, uh, we've done this before. We don't need we've to done this before, anymore. but I will say some good ones. Uh, March 28, 2007. And Mike, normally this is where I take us forth into the jungle. I usually have like a copious uh, section of notes uh, to, to read from. But unfortunately, my notes were paralyzed before we got on to record this podcast. Uh, so I believe you have your own notes of the episode, so you will be the one who guides us through this week. And this seems pertinent, right? When it comes to changing POV, this yeah, is not the first time up. that we've done that. But like, let's let's change up the formula a bit, and hopefully this has not become the last time that I become, yeah. I'm become i able to, to you know maybe give up the notes. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like Nikki and Paolo are sort of done for. I believe, I think Nikki does make... One more non-speaking appearance in the series, but I'm pretty sure this is a series wrap on Rodrigo Santoro oh, wow. after I this episode. Is, is there like an expose scene in the background or something? Um, like yeah, it, it might be that because I know I can't remember. Like, do we have we seen David Reyes watch expose yet? Or maybe I'm thinking of another another not, episode. Not to my memory. Not to my yeah. Memory. So I think I think when we get to uh, off island stuff, I think that maybe that's when they're talking about Nikki technically appearing on the screen again. Got it. Okay. So let's go forth into the jungle here with a brand new voice. There is no previously on because, spoiler alert, this entire episode is essentially a previously on. And so even though this is something that we have seen in several episodes up to this point, it's a big clue, not miss clue, as to how this episode's going to be just a little bit different. And we sort of start in media res here, right? Nikki is frantically running through the jungle. She is digging through the dirt and burying something. It will take a long time, both in the past and the present, for us to find out what that thing is. But very quickly, we get a flashback to Nikki seemingly being some sort of exotic dancer Mm -hmm. Uh, under the name corvette she has taken to the pole we hear the dulcet sounds of records records and effect it's spelled w-r-e-k-x-n effect so i don't know how to pronounce it recx recx and effect like a t recx uh but she is you know she's doing her thing you know josh we're gonna get into this but uh in doing some research from this episode i did find out that there was a previous draft of this episode that was supposed to be an entire episode of only flashbacks for nikki only to reveal at the very end of the episode that those flashbacks were just scenes from the TV show Expose. That would have been something. <laughs> it would have been, no, I mean, I'll typify it. It would have been bad. It would have been a very bad yeah. rug pull on behalf of Lost. I think that would have been, again, for all the grousing people made about flashbacks this season, at least those were real in people's lives. I think a lot of people would have been like, you have wasted my time with an hour of watching a TV show within a TV show. <laughs> 
<laughs> so luckily, they do that rug pull right at the beginning here, and it comes in a very fantastic fashion as Corvette is going to break into uh, the the back room where her boss, Mr. Lestad, is uh, receiving a hefty payout from some seedy individuals. And let's hear some of this incredible dialogue for what will ultimately be Nikki Fernandez's final scene in the hit show, Expose. <laughs> the money for the orphanage. That means, Mr. Lashad, you're the Cobra. Sorry, baby, it's just business. All this time it was you. Pretty and smart. What a shame. Razzle dazzle! Crystal, bad news. Corvette was working for the Cobra. But fear not. He will pay. Okay, I'll cut the clip there. I'll follow <laughs> yeah. your direction. Let me tell you to do that. Um, incredible. Uh, Billy D. Williams says, I believe you said Mr. Lestat, and then I envisioned Mr. Lestat. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, interview with a with the vampire. Yeah. I could imagine Billy D. Williams would be very interesting in that role. I think he'd be very good in that role. Uh, but Billy D. Williams playing Billy D. Williams playing Mr. Rashad, who is secretly the Cobra. Uh, like already, the ways in which this episode is trying to let you know, like we're in, we're in <laughs> on it. This whole thing is going to be a lark, and we know it, and we're in on it. This is it's meta. We're 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 doing community before community did community. Like that's what's going on here. Uh, we haven't got the, we haven't gotten the lost movie yet either. No, not yet. Uh, inevitable, inevitable. Yeah, but uh, I I think I mean there's so much fun stuff to talk about this scene because they really Kitsis and Horowitz lean so much into the schlock of it all. You know, we're gonna find out more about uh, Howard Zuckerman's work later on. We do not see the other works that he does, but like if this is any indication. Oh, this is just so much great fat to chew on. We actually, now we got to hear the outright razzle-dazzle of it all in which Nikki delivers, albeit like very poorly, but I think that's done on purpose. Just the gray line, like, that money's for the orphanage. That money's for the orphanage. <laughs> I, I believe we heard that when we've heard it on the TV before, but like to actually see it now conceptualized is so great. Billy Dee Williams sounding like even more like he's on Quaaludes than what we're used to hearing from him is just so great because it's it's sort of informed that like he's phoning this in to the nth degree. And the the most interesting part about it is that to your point, this is I think the only time that a celebrity appears as themselves entourage style on Lost. We've gotten, you know, mentions to like Christopher Reeve and George Bush before. There have been name checks, but no one was like, okay, Billy D. Williams, you will come on as Billy D. Williams. Right, playing and be- Mr. Rashad. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I found out about Razzle Dazzle that is really interesting. Uh, so Razzle Dazzle is a reference to, uh, I don't know if Josh, you grew up in the tri-state area, as did I. Do you remember the Ron and Fez show? No, you'll have to remind me. Although it sounds familiar. Yeah, so more on the Fest show was sort of like one of those Howard Stern sort of knockoff shock shock jock shows like Opie and Anthony on XM Satellite Radio. Basically, uh, from from Lostpedia, it says, Associate producer Eastside Dave starts off a weekly gossip segment with the voiceover of another producer saying, razzle-dazzle in a ridiculous fashion. Brian K. Vaughn, new writer on Lost and a big Ron and Fez fan, said recently during a visit in studio that he would be working some references to their show into the dialogue of Lost. 
And so a lot of people speculated that like this was Brian K. Vaughn sneaking in a reference. You know, it'd be like if uh, you were a, a big fan of comedy Bang Bang and you snuck like a Hey Nong Man reference into a show that you were writing. Apparently, or like that's if where I Razzle were a Dazzle big fan from. of Lost and I snuck a lot of Lost references into the book that I'm working on right now. You would never. No, no, no chance. Uh, um, and also an- another fun fact. I don't know if you paid attention to the slate board that the uh, the director that we or the I guess the AD that we previously heard called cut on. But do you know whose name was on that slate? No. Stephen Williams. Hey, all right. So, so the director of this episode of Expose. So maybe the, right. he, like Billy D. Williams is the first, but I guess Stephen Williams is technically the second yeah. real person well, to appear great. as themselves on Lost. That's great. And, and and very funny because like Expose is totally like a show that Stephen Williams would have directed at that point in his career. Uh, Absolutely. So really, 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 really super fun. Uh, everything about this is great. I, I believe like we... It's a series wrap on Nikki Fernandez, right? And like we're, yeah, we're getting and, and, out of and, there. And so there's some really interesting stuff here because we sort of get some some nice expo dumps, uh, and there'll be a lot of dumps going on and on the Palo Palo variety in this episode. Uh, we found out that Nikki is an actress; she is a guest star on expose and now she has gotten killed off uh you know she gets comforted by the series creator that we'll find out is howard zuckerman some really great meta stuff here again once you know how this episode ends where i believe nikki says outright like i'm just a guest star you know what happens to them considering what's gonna happen maybe to her we'll character. bring you back next season with the bulletproof vest bulletproof or a bulletproof breast Exactly. Hey, uh, and hey. so he takes them, a Yogi Bear, apparently, according yeah. to Josh, takes them <laughs> outside and it appears they're filming in Australia because, say with me, everybody, they're right next to the Sydney Harbor where yeah, apparently everything is. That's the Opera House, right? So you know they're in Australia. How else would Exa- you be able to recognize us. I just love that within this, like, I'm assuming within the same plaza is the studio where they filmed this, this, uh, where Boone is staying with Shannon, you know, where Walt, the hotel where Walt and Michael were staying prior yeah, to taking off an ocean. Destiny. Game I don't know what the problem is. It's, they are all supposed to be here. It's their destiny. They got summoned to this point in their lives. Uh, so yeah, it makes sense that they're all here at this moment in time. No, I, was, I also got to say Howard Zuckerman looks like a real George Carlin type. Maybe he's just like the pulled back uh, yeah. gray hair. I think of like a Wes Craven or a George Romero, just like, mm. uh, or or even a George Lucas. Oh uh, no, no, not quite a George Lucas. Shout out I mean, to he, Billy D. Williams, by the way, who we talked yeah. about on uh on the Star Wars Survivor Brant Steele on Rob has a podcast. No spoilers about how that one turned out, other than to say. Uh, Mike and I agree that, narratively speaking, one of our favorite Brant Steele simulations we've ever done. Definitely one of the most satisfying. The yes. snowball has promptly dissipated in the stream, to yes. use your, your metaphor yes. from before. But it turns out that, you know, that this whatever type you want to compare Zuckerman to, no matter what, he is romancing the stone, or at least Nikki was romancing to get some stones later on, as they have a passionate kiss in front of the Sydney Harbor. It does bring up the question, like, you know, which came first, Nikki being brought onto the show or her starting a relationship with Zuckerman? We don't get much background as to what the onus of their relationship is. Josh, have you ever done any sort of, like, headcanon as to how this all happened? Um, no. Um, not a ton. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because... I mean, we're going to find out a lot about Nikki. One of the things that I find really interesting about this episode that, spoiler alert, is going to make a reflection in my personal LVP points is Nikki at this point has been fairly innocuous, really, outside of that one deleted scene that we talked about in Further Instructions where she's caught having sex in Jack's tent. Like, 
Paolo, at least on island, has been the more negative Nancy. But this episode proves that Nikki, in my opinion, is as bad, if not outright worse, than Paolo is in terms of a, being a person. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the island events bear out that, um, like, if, if Paolo is maybe more, like, in love with Nikki, I think Nikki more, like, is just, like, sort of, like, tolerant of, of Paolo <laughs> as, like, a means to get to the diamonds. Uh, like, she seems to be more in love with the diamonds than she is with Paolo, at the very least. Yeah, exactly. She's more in love with, like, she's sort of like Sawyer in that variety, right? Of, like, eh, I won't let my heart get into it. I'm after one goal at the end of the day, and that's myself. Yes. Every yes. man for himself. Yes, yes. Uh, so th- that's when we come back to the moment that we heard at the top of the podcast, right? Right, and then and that's a, it's a fun continuation also from the Enter Seven Seven plot where it's I would imagine that either Sawyer is now like playfully engaging in ping pong with Hurley, or like I could imagine Sawyer's trying to con man style trying uh-huh. to like learn from Hurley as to how to become <laughs> well, a better player. I was, I was saying in the Discord during the watch party that if Hurley is the Jedi Master of ping pong, then Sawyer is his. Padawan. Ah, oh yes. Oh, How about that? My heart is soaring. How about I'm that? so proud. How about I'm that? I'm so proud. And so just like the one single braid in Sawyer's hair coming down. Uh, show me the way. This is the way. This is you. Show course. me the way to go home. Yeah. Tired and I want to play ping pong. So yeah, um, we we heard this in the intro. Nikki comes running out and she sort of mutters something to out. herself. Exactly, uh, before dying. And of course, we have another fantastic meta line here. Dude, Nikki's dead. Who the hell's Nikki? It won't be, it won't, will not be the last time Sawyer asks that, but it's a great sort of yeah. button to begin the episode of. Yeah, who the hell is Nikki? Yeah, I mean, look, it's just like, uh, it's so ridiculous, right? It's just absolutely absurd. It, uh, it, it's just like on right, right up front before we smash the credits, a character is dead. This is a series regular, should not be a series regular. And Sawyer is commenting on that of like, wait, who? You know, it's yeah. like, it's very, very, very clear that that's what's going on. It's very funny. This is a really interesting Sawyer episode. Like he does, he admittedly does some, some sketchy stuff, but I think especially when we look ahead to Sawyer the cop, this is a big sort of indicator as to, I don't know if they thought that's where this was going to go at this point in time, but where he's going to end up in another universe. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So uh, really just a great opening arc to this episode from the Billy D. Williams stuff. Uh, so like, even like, uh, like, you know, starting off propulsively with like Nikki running through the jungle, like you're already kind of like, okay, so what's going on here? Like they effectively set up the mystery, I think pretty well, just like, from, yeah, like, exactly. like, like a, like a noir perspective. Like I think they, they, they do a good job of just like kind of, um, framing you into that kind of story. Yeah, actually, I think the strongest thing about this episode is the structure is the way they sort of like both, you know, the best twists in pop culture, in my opinion, are ones that you don't see at all coming the first time you watch it but then when you watch it back there are so many clues being put in place that indicate where things are going to end up and i feel like expose is one of those pieces of pop culture that perfectly threads that needle yeah for sure so we come back and we get a flashback oddly enough we sort of get the weird thing where they other 48 days style but they actually use the correct font this time uh you know subtitle like oh this was a certain number of days ago but we are still in Australia. It seems like Expose was filming in Australia. Was Josh, is Australia like the Vancouver slash Toronto <laughs> for American productions in the mid-2000s? I don't know. I mean, I think that, no, Vancouver was still the Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> but but a lot of productions are moving uh, to Australia. Australia has a very robust uh, film scene. I don't know how much of a ro- 
robust TV scene. I don't know if, if the Lord of the Rings show is shooting in New Zealand or Australia off the top of my head. I'm sure the mm. men behind the curtain uh, will be able to, to correct the record. Well, if it's the former, then we'll really know. But but Marvel shoots a ton in Australia. Tons of movies shoot down there. So yeah. uh, really not, not a surprise. Um, that they're that they're filming in Australia. It just what is maybe a little bit of a surprise to me is like it might be suggestive of like a bigger budget project, and Exposé does not appear to be a big budget project. So uh, exactly, unless it's thing- like a big budget, like you know, like everyone is in on the joke with Exposé, but it feels like in the universe of Lost, the tastemakers like. Hugo Hurley Reyes are super in on expose. Yeah, and that's the thing as well is that, you know, if this was, you would imagine if this was a more cost cutting procedure, they would go to like Atlanta, right? Or even like, I feel like it's much easier to go across the border and film in Toronto than it is to fly an entire crew and cast multiple hours to Australia to film. So I don't know. It seems like Howard Zuckerman is pretty loaded. So maybe he's able to do it on his own personal penny. So affluent josh that he is able to have his own new personal chef who surprise surprise is paulo yeah the wolfgang I, I, puck of brazil which amazing race fans may uh also prognosticate that maybe once upon a time a michelle newland type would stop paulo in an airport and grill him for hours on end about his cooking technique was wolfgang I, puck on an episode of the amazing race yeah let me stop down for a second and say that there was a del- <laughs> there was a deleted scene in the first episode of the amazing race where they were flying out of la one team recognized Wolfgang Puck, who and not you only don't know, he's a, like a very like in the restaurant industry is very famous. Uh, is, yeah, he really is like the Paolo of, of yeah, you know the, the Paolo cookies. of the of the actual restaurant industry. Uh, many steakhouses has Spago in Los Angeles. Uh, I was I was mentioning on the the live watch that he is famous for having a pizza that's covered in smoked salmon. Mm, that mm-hmm. sounds controversial. I, I have not had it. I'm surprised it's not covered in shaved truffle, considering that the Wolfgang Puck of Brazil in Paolo is apparently yeah, specializes what? in that. Very heavy-handed with the truffle. Maybe that should have been the giveaway that Paolo's not actually a chef. Yeah, or that that Zuckerman is affluent, right? As we uh-huh, talked about yeah. in during Top Chef, like all those truffles cost so much money that like to use them like that is, is really saying something. Do you think it's Paolo or Howie's idea that he has to wear the chef's jacket while he's working? Uh, I would assume that that's Paolo's because I, I, my headcanon on this is that uh, Paolo is undercover. Uh, and he's not actually a chef. Otherwise, I think we would have seen him in the scenes. Wait, with so chef do you think? Jack. Do you think he just like ordered in yes. and just like disguised it as like like steamed yes. ham style? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, uh, and so like he's like, well, if I'm a chef, I have to wear the jacket. Uh, so he wears the jacket because he's a chef. He's supposed to okay. do it. And you know what that reminds me now? Actually, maybe it's the accent. It reminds me so much of Agador Spartacus from the Birdcage. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Just imagine Paolo like tripping in his shoes, like I've got dreams for you, Mister Zuckerman. He's just in deep cover. That's it. That's it. I I also have to say I don't know if you noticed this as well, Josh. For some reason, Rodrigo Santoro's accent comes out much more prominently in this episode than any of the previous ones. Maybe it's because Paolo has the most to speak in this episode, but I don't remember the hearing it. Really, filmmaker Howard Zuckerman is dad. Uh, is <laughs> my is my favorite. Uh, oh, that's the big twist. He killed yeah. his own dad. His dad. Yeah, dad. Dad. Uh, so, I mean, apparently, whether Paolo prepared these or not, uh, he has a bevy of things, not only including shaved truffles, apparently an entire bread basket filled with homemade rolls of all varieties. Maybe to your point, that's the first clue that this is not Paolo's not the real McCoy here. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 but among so. among uh, the many rolls, uh, one is sort of covered by a nice little diamond bracelet that Howie is giving to Nikki. 
And before Howie just gives like a little bit of exposition that apparently uh, Howie Zuckerman is actually doing a little bit of foul play on his current marriage in taking up with Nikki. Those end up being his last words as he coils over and we finally get a true glimpse of, I think, what will be, quote unquote, the real Nikki in this episode, uh, where she essentially just immediately does like a heel turn and is like, oh, my God, I actually had to taste this dude's food and you know, romance this oldie <laughs> yeah. for so long. Yeah. What what took you so long, Paolo? Yeah. And uh, that's really going to be the tone that Nikki takes on for a lot of this, right? It's like her really shuffling off a lot of blame onto poor Paolo here. Yeah. Yeah. Truffling a lot of blame onto poor Paolo here. And uh, so they immediately, before the body is even cold or the rolls are even cold, they go into a closet safe. Uh, we get a little glimpse here of, again, something that's to come. Uh, the smoking gun, if you will, emphasis on smoking. Paolo's going to try to take this moment to try to smoke a cigarette. And Nikki does wisely point out here, like, what the hell are you doing? We're trying to cover up our tracks here. You're going to leave ashes Well, I think around. in this continued battle of uh, of the two, who is, like, the Harry and who is the Marv? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, like, clearly uh, uh, Harry is, is Nikki, right? Like, she's the one who's always trying to talk sense into, like, He's like, no, but we can be the smoking bandits. <laughs> we can be the smoky bandits. Yeah, we leave the we leave the ash around, yeah, and everyone knows it's the smoky. Everything smells like cigarettes. It's like, no, you idiot, put that away. <laughs> so Howie has Nikki. Uh, I've reached the top. <laughs> Just imagine now they open up the safe and like Howie gets hit in the head with a bowling ball, or uh, <laughs> Paolo gets in the head with like a gets Big in the boat. crotch with a paint yeah. can. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. But uh, there are no paint cans or shocking doorknobs or anything like that. Just a Russian nesting doll, which is also a fun metaphor, not only for this episode, but lost in general, right? A mystery inside of a mystery inside of a mystery. Yeah, and I think in this, a show within a show within a show, or like, yeah, like, very much this idea of like, uh, we hated it, the fans hated it, we made a show about how we and the fans hated it. <laughs> you know? Like, And then we made a show that exists within that world in which we and the fans hate it. Like, I think that there's just a lot of layers to expose that you can break through. So let's cut back to the present here, and we have our first little, like, McLaughlin group of the ramshackle CSI crew. This is going to be a big episode for Sawyer, for Hurley, for Charlie, and for Sun. I would say those are sort of, like, the big four who get a lot of focus during the present timeline. Uh, it appears that Sawyer and Hurley have now brought in Charlie and Sun in on what's exactly happening here, and... There's going to be a la Lost in Translation, which I believe was coming out around this time, actually, Josh. A lot of talk around what would be Nikki's final words. Let's hear the group sort of give their first uh, pseudo-autopsy to what's going on right now. Sound number two. What happened? We don't know. She's got no gunshot wound, no knife wound, no polar bear bite, nothing. Maybe it was something she ate. Maybe she was poisoned. We should check the food supply to see if anyone else is sick. She's got gunk under her fingernails. Where'd you find her? Right here. She stumbled out of the jungle, face planted, said something like plywood, and sorry, no. Actually, I think she said power lines. Who the hell knows what she said? She was five seconds from dying. Probably seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Paolo lies. That's what she said. Paolo lies, not power lines. Paolo lies. Who the hell's Paolo? Paolo's her husband or, or boyfriend or whatever. They live down the beach. Well, where the hell is he? Because if he lies, that might be a good place to start. Uh, imagine if the big twist of the episode was indeed Josh that Nikki was saying plywood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, said, she was saying paddle wands. 
Yeah, or no, she she was saying power line because she was remembering when her she and her dad took that cross country road trip and she really wanted to see power line in concert. And so she tricked her dad mm-hmm. into <laughs> diverting the road trip to go there. I love uh, I, I love this whole crew. I, I think this is great. And one of the things that I love about this episode and there's there's other instances of it as we as we dig deeper are these moments where they're talking about all the different things that have happened on Lost, basically. Like, it could mm-hmm. be the others. It could be the monster. Yeah, I, I do love that, uh, you she know, Charlie... Poisoned, Charlie you know, yeah, I Charlie's like, it. she's poisoned, and Son's like, no, uh, no one would ever do that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so just, like, all of that is is incredible. Yeah, we're gonna get a lot of callbacks to uh, bad deeds that these characters have done. Su- surprisingly little uh, remembrance of Sun poisoning Jin once upon a time. But yeah, so so there's a lot of theories going around at this point, including what they said. Hurley jumps to the conclusion that Paolo... I mean, it's gonna lead them in the right direction, that they should be looking for Paolo. But that's also gonna be the conventional wisdom that we are gonna be under, considering how this is going to happen as we go to yet another flashback. We are in... The airport, uh, as you talked about, Paolo reads the obituary of his dad, uh, Howie, who has not only created Expose, but Strike Team Alpha and Dr. Kincaid Esquire. Oh, Dr. Kincaid Esquire is dad, uh, I believe is how he says it. Uh, Maybe Zuck. that means that Paolo's father played Dr. Kincaid on Dr. Kincaid Esquire. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Kincaid Esquire is my dad. Uh, and, and maybe then, and maybe that's how he knew about Howie and got so close to him. But you would imagine his dad would put in a good word for him, like "You got to hire my son. He's a fantastic chef." Yeah, I wonder who uh, who his sister is in this narrative. If uh, Doctor Kincaid Esquire is the is the Christian Shepherd of this uh, meta universe that's being for, created. For some reason, I imagine Doctor Kincaid Esquire would have been played by like Kelsey Grammer. Uh huh. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That's all alternate universe Frasier. Uh, yeah, in exactly. The like, world, like, oh, Fraser is Doctor Kincaid Esquire. He didn't get the cheer <laughs> spinoff, but he was able to land the role on Doctor yeah. Kincaid Esquire. Uh, and so this is around the time that Boone and Shannon show up, right? Yes, they when do. We're on, we're on deep wig watch here. Folks. Woof. Yeah, Ian Summerhalder. It's just gotten worse and worse with and, the times Boone has and, appeared. And, and I, he, I can't leave him alone on an island because uh, Maggie Grace is. That's not the Shannon hair we know. That's no, it is much more voluminous. <laughs> it's definitely different. Uh, so it's but it's it's really fun especially this is our first sighting of Shannon since she died so it's nice to have Maggie Grace back on I've missed mm, her I gotta I say mean, nice in a couple of and let's put that in rough quotations because let's remember this is also beginning of season one sure Shannon. sure of course but I'm just I I you know what I, the the early days of the down the hatch rewatch I I found myself feeling fonder about Shannon uh, yeah, and, and, and this is also why I've always enjoyed this episode is because for the most part, and we'll get to it, this is a fun sort of callback to a lot of Lost Season 1, which obviously I has such a soft place in my heart that to sort of like go back through everything like, oh yeah, I remember the crash. It's weird to, to speak fondly about a disastrous plane crash, but yeah, of course, Shannon and Boone, you know, I don't know if this is before or after she ends up uh, doing a false call in on Saeed's bags, but she's being pretty awful to Boone about like grab the chair don't grab the chair yeah uh, and <laughs> don't and give him the stick and basically now accuses boone of flirting with paolo yeah. uh, even though again they had just slept together the night before so a lot of weird stuff in there and of course nikki giving another fun prophetic line promise me we won't end up like them Technically, you will just don the variety. Boone and Shannon will be killed uh, much further apart than these two will. Yeah, and you also, and I think that this is another great meta moment of like, promise me we won't end up like them. 
it's not just that don't that we're not going to end up like annoying like like they are in the context of like the universe of the show, but also to your point, Mike, that you made many weeks ago, uh, this idea that like we're going to bring in background characters from eight one five and show you that you yeah, have the socks as they call them. We call them the Gawkers. Damon and Carlton mm-hmm. refer to them as the socks. Um, that there were actual like three dimensional characters in there, and so like if that's the move that you're going to make, then you gotta like. You gotta give us some something interesting here. Don't just give us Boone and Shannon 2.0. Boone and Shannon 1.0 didn't work out. You killed them. You killed them because they weren't working. Um, and so this idea of Nikki saying to Powell, promise me we won't end up like them. Well, they end up exactly like them uh, mm-hmm. in terms of audience reception. So I again, another way in which this episode is just like, winking at everybody like it is a, it is an episode that is that is deeply aware of itself so we end up cutting to of course another great opportunity for maggie grace to scream as we re-litigate the events of the 815 crash there is a loss on location featurette for this episode where they sort of talk about how they were able to reuse some footage from these episodes we'll see this more particularly with the live together die alone speech as an example but they tried to reuse as much old footage as possible without making it look like okay we're just gonna cgi nikki and paolo in there like a star wars uh, updated edition character so they actually brought in maggie grace and ian summerhalder to like film alternate shots yeah. uh, and so the this shannon that we get screaming here to the point of the hair is season three shannon not season one shannon even though it's it's the exact same thing but, you know, Nikki, we get a lot of this from Nikki's perspective. He, she unfortunately gets caught up in the poor Gary troop of it all as we see him fly into the propeller one last time. Nikki, I don't know if this is just adrenaline or maybe body blindness, somehow mistakes Paolo for Dr. Arst, uh, <laughs> saying, oh, this is clearly, yes, Daniel Roebuck and I think Rodrigo Santoro look exactly the same from behind. Uh, we get a fun moment here where Boone with his season three hair checks in to see if he has a pen. Uh, Nikki will unfortunately not be one of the people to provide the eight pens to Boone as he's going out on this sort of like a Boy Scout mission for Jack. She finds Paolo sort of standing is awestruck on the beach and of course the first thing she asks about is where where is the bag? Where's the bag? Where are the diamonds? And he's just like shaken from his his shell shock. Yeah and like so he's focused more on like what just happened? How are we alive? The PTSD, uh, and she just. Wants but she's it. more about the bag. Yeah, she's like, I want that bag. Show me the bag. I'm here. She, she like Joe Mena. I'm here to secure the bag. Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, and she'll have her own sort of little uh, tactics to pull out as well later on. That might make her a good survivor player, or at least a very interesting one. Uh, and. You know, there's a lot of, from a cinematography perspective, there's a lot of going to flashbacks by like focusing in on the apparently dead bodies of Nikki and Paolo. And we get it here as we get our first glimpse of present day Paolo, who is also lying in the jungle. Is also seemingly dad. dead. He's <laughs> his dad at this dad. point. He yes. has become Dr. Kincaid Esquire <laughs> in full. <laughs> but I, this, this cracked me up. This, this, that cut. Mike never fails to crack me up. Uh, like it never fails to just like absolutely rip me up. Uh, that we we go <laughs> that we go from from uh, from from Powell being very very alive 
to yeah, I guess like so, sort of, kind of alive, yeah, mostly dead, but mostly nearly dead, but <laughs> mostly dead. Which I know there's a big difference between completely dead and mostly dead. Uh, but like, it's just so funny because this is the flashback structure, and this is how the episode does it. Like, we look, we linger on their their pseudo dead faces, and then we go back into the past, or we come back from the past, and we come back to them just like lying on. The- yeah. these dead fish characters so well, it's speak, just, <laughs> it's speaking so of good. dead fish the person who apparently found paolo is the fisherman of the group himself looks like Jin found paolo while he was doing something in the jungle he is joined by hurley and sawyer paolo is caught in a much weirder circumstance than nikki his pants are undone and his shoe is in a tree and i think people are now looking for a net nearby to see if they were into some hanky panky before you know all these mysterious circumstances happen Jin, completely forgetting the events of season one, immediately goes for Paolo's water bottle and starts to potentially go for the liquid. And Sawyer, though I will say, to Hurley's point, maybe Sawyer shouldn't have poured out the liquid, though I don't know what forensics they could have done on it. Uh, but yeah, Sawyer is very wise to point out, like, hey, something very clearly could have been in Paolo's water, so don't go messing with that stuff, Jimbo. Yeah, yeah, don't don't touch that stuff. Uh, and that's, that's when Sawyer's like, Mm-mm, I don't think so. He's suspecting some foul play here, yeah. which, again, this is just a, such a fun call forward to Sawyer the Cop. Granted, he does not have his partner yet, and Miles Strom has yet to land on the island, or at least he has before, but is now going to be coming back to the right, island, right, right, uh, right. chronologically speaking. But So this is Sawyer sort of being on his own. Now we cut back, once again, to the night of White Rabbit. It's interesting. You know, Nikki and Paolo were talking about the monster, which makes sense because we get another cut here where Jin suspects the monster. Cut to Nikki and Paolo saying, it can't be the monster. At first, I thought this was going to be on night one when we get that infamous shot of, you know, all the main cast gathering to watch the tree shake. Seems like they're just sort of talking about it, even though it happened a few days ago. Instead, they are in the middle of the big water boon brouhaha as mm-hmm. arts is sort of uh rallying the gawkers to throw the blame onto Boone, and jack makes his only appearance in this episode coming in to give the live together dialogue speech and we should also mention here uh before Ethan that shows up. yeah Ethan's nikki and paolo here. are greeted by a very nice wisconsin sweatshirt yeah, wearing Ethan wisconsin Rom. sweatshirt oh my even goodness. though he, yeah, he's like i wouldn't dare wear the shirt i'm canadian so yeah. i don't even know what a wisconsin is yeah yeah it's, a, but, it's but a, basically Ethan, the cover Ethan's story to, is falling apart yeah he's trying to do a his how do you do fellow kids type of mode by <laughs> yes, saying like exactly. well uh I, I you know i lost my luggage but i can help size I you do up lost my luggage consider me like the uh men's warehouse of a15 <laughs> where i can find the perfect clothes for you yeah Exactly, exactly. Though he is sort of like the Garrick of Deep Space Nine in that variety, right? He's a tailor who has very uh, seedy intentions. You can never tell where his loyalties lie. But yeah, I, I always found this moment like really stupid, but really funny to just have Nick, to have Jack give his live together dialogue speech and to cut to Nikki and Paolo just sort of standing there listening to it, like very Forrest Gumpian. Very. And I, I don't know. I, I love I love seeing the live together dialogue. Like th- this was another thing for me in and always as a thing for me in watching this episode. Um, but especially now that this is the first time that I'm watching Lost on a weekly basis in forever, uh, mm-hmm. is it's such a stark reminder this episode as we are barreling towards the end of Act One uh, of the show uh, that like even within this first act, things have changed. People have grown up. People are very very different. This may have only been like a month or two months ago in the real time of the of the drama. Um, but think about Jack in this context versus right. Jack. 
uh, striking deals to get off the island. You know, there's a, a lot has happened uh, with with these characters. Um, there's a great John Locke scene coming up that that really demonstrates this idea. Uh, so this is a way in which I think that there's utility to seeing these moments from the past as we're kind of just being reminded of like, it's like a stop down point. We're about halfway through. We're a little over halfway through at this point, as we've as we've discussed. Um, and it's it's nice to kind of reset like where where we who we came with, who we're leaving with. We're not leaving quite yet, uh, but we're we're moving on to the next phase, uh, as Mikhail might say. Yeah, I think that it, it's also a fun opportunity of like the seminal moments from season one in particular, right? Like. This is what, uh, why we're having fun with the Lost RPG, which I know Josh and I, spoiler alert, have been talking offline as to this is the perfect opportunity to maybe ping the, the great, uh, the great R. Philly and see, you know, if he's up for doing some stuff. Because yeah. it's fun to imagine, like, how would these characters react to some of those bigger moments? You know, this really is, uh, I know we compared it to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but this is really like Lost Lower Decks in a manner of speaking, right? Where we're like cutting to characters who are not part of the main cast and see like, how were they reacting to all these missions that the A team are going on to? We're going to get that more fleshed out with like their direct reactions to, for example, uh, whatever the case may be. But it, it's fun to remember some of the big moments that happened in lost season one and how these different personalities might uh, interact and react to them in a different capacity than some of those main characters that we're used to. Yeah. 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 So, again, more Monster Talk takes us out of White Rabbit and onto the main island, where we have a short thing here where Hurley uh, brings up the end of the cost of living. We bring up Mr. Echo's final words of your next as to whether they meant the royal you or whether the monster essentially cursed Nikki and Paolo by essentially saying, like, no, you two specifically are next. <laughs> Sawyer brings up, like, no, 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 don't worry. He meant everybody. And Hurley's like, oh, that makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, but and, I mean, I guess technically, like, uh, Nikki and Paolo, at least we'll talk about it. Are they the monster's next victims? So, <laughs> Wait, well, we'll talk about yeah. that. Uh, Sawyer quoting not the Black Rock, but the Rock here by calling Nikki and Paolo jabonis. Yeah, these jabronis over here. Uh, yeah, can you smell what I'm? What Paolo is cooking? It smells like shaved truffle. It's not. It's very truffly. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> very like pungent truffle smell. Uh, uh, so chicken. we we cut back. We have a very quick glimpse into the present as we go back into a flashback. And one of the things I do feel like, you know, there's a lot of Nikki plus Paolo, but I'm glad that they take some opportunities here to separate. The characters, again, to make them very distinct. And here's, for sound number three, we're going to get really the first glimpse of that in this episode, as Nikki is going to engage with Dr. Arst, who, in my opinion, is one of the highlights of this episode. Let's listen to some foreshadowing conversation between the two. Hey, Dr. Arst. Oh, hi. You're a scientist, right? And, and an educator, Yes. What are you doing with all this stuff? Oh, um, well, since we've got here, I've discovered 20 new species. I'm going to be the next Charles Darwin. Uh, I, um, that is uh, Latrodactus regina. Very dangerous. They call her the Medusa spider. Her pheromones are very strong. One whiff and every male of the species would be here in seconds. Not unlike you, I guess. <laughs> so you're probably too busy to help me then. No, no, not, not not at all. I'm fine. Uh, I can help you. What, what can I do you for? Well, I'm trying to find my luggage, and since the plane broke apart over the jungle, I was wondering if you knew about trajectories and stuff. <laughs> do, I, do I know about trajectories? Allow me to draw you a map, madam. 
Oh, I love ours so much. <laughs> <laughs> Let me draw you a map, madame. Madame. Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I'm of two minds, Mike. Um, mind number one is seeing Arst again here makes me so sad that they killed him off so early in the show. But then mind number two is like, yeah, but they killed him off perfectly. Uh, That's the I, thing. Is I like, do just wish that like there had been more occasions to like uh, sprinkle him liberally throughout the show. Uh, but ultimately, he probably is just used perfectly. I, yeah, I think for Arst, it's like a little bit goes a long way, right? It's like a be careful what you wish for. Because I think when you ask for more characters, then we sort of get overloaded with them. Because I think that the dosages of Arst that we get is fantastic. I love how we get so hot under the collar or hot under the ascot. For Nikki, it's very clear, like, I mean, Nikki is one to definitely employ flirtation as a strategy, which, again, would make her a very interesting survivor player. She knows how Arst seemingly leers after her and shows she uses that to her advantage. I can imagine walking up to him in her bathing suit probably helps that. I'm going to throw out a hot take here, Josh. Maybe in an alternate universe, if there is no Saeed on Oceanic 815, Leslie Arst might be a suitable substitute. <laughs> This dude seemingly knows a lot about everything. <laughs> He's going from like giving typifying the species of spiders Are you to serious? drawing out a pitch perfect trajectory oh, for my her. God. Yeah, but he's the worst. He's, he's the worst, worst, but he knows so much seemingly, which I mean, granted, like <laughs> I I would I would love to have Dr. Arst as a science teacher. Personally, you're going to learn so much cool stuff with him as opposed to like not to besmirch the science teachers I personally had. But Josh, I cannot imagine many high school science teachers know about, you know, uh, prevailing winds, yeah, know about spider is, species. But it's all about communications. Right. And in that regard, he's a total butthead. He's a weenus. He's a dweeb. He can't, he's, he's so crotchety. He's so, he's like, <laughs> which, like, which is probably why he teaches high school instead of, you know, moving up to be a college professor. Like you hear anything about him and he's very surly towards absolutely everyone. He was surly on the security line. You know, the only helpful thing we ever saw him do is help Claire with her luggage. Like he's like, seems to be like kind of a nasty dude. Oh, he does help. At least he helps Nikki a little bit here. He unintentionally gives her the yeah, idea but why? behind him. Is why, right? Like, why is he helping Nikki? Here's the question. And like, he makes well, that, yeah, I think. Well, Ars, Ars is yeah. horny. We can say that. Yeah, you know, so like, I, uh, I he's guess thirsty. Like, he's so thirsty. Is, and it's not just because Boone took the water. So is Saeed Jarrah. But I think Saeed Jarrah <laughs> plays well with others in a way that Dr. Ars simply <gasps> does not. Does I not. just really want to imagine Ultimate Universe Watch where it's like um, Ars being like, we've got to go to yeah. the tower and get a radio signal. Yeah. Uh, I also served in the war. Oh, yeah. Were you a Marine? You were. <laughs> No, I was a, a warrior for uh, the, the 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 Worcester Warriors. Yeah, I was gonna say like, oh, I put a lot of time on Civ Five. Yeah, exactly. Come on, let's go climb the Black Rock, madam. Yeah, maybe in another universe, he was playing uh, MMORPGs with John Locke. Uh, oh, that, that, that would be that fun. I buy. That I buy. That I yeah, buy. like Darwin's Darwin sixty nine <laughs> is crushing me. Who Darwin is this guy? Sixty nine. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it turns out that Ars trajectory map brings Nikki and Paolo to the Beechcraft, uh, to the location of the Pearl, where surprise, surprise here, 
uh, they're able to find the hatch going down into the pearl. We get a little bit of like conflict between the two where Paolo is not particularly happy that Nikki is sort of turning on the charm to get something out of Arst. I think that he is beginning to see what he is going to muse a couple of times over the rest of the episode, which is like, wow, if she can do that for these guys very easily, what does that say about her sincere feelings towards me? Uh, Nikki immediately tries to boon Paolo here and says, hey, why don't you go climb up into that plane and see exactly what the deal is there? But Paolo immediately refuses. He's not going to it's be like, booned no, that in that way. Variety. Lies death. And yeah, uh... <laughs> exactly. Like maybe a radio is up there. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get one later on. But they indeed find the long dark hatch down into the pearl, which Nikki uh, is. She's up. She's all about going up, but not necessarily going down. Josh, I don't know if this is a hot take. My least favorite part of this episode is the inclusion of the pearl in here maybe it's because like there's so much season one packed in here and again my my heart warms so much for the season one stuff that i want to focus on that but i always found their choice to like include the pearl stuff in here just just felt a little out of whack to me yeah i think um it's it's again sort of in line with like getting uh like so you get to the end of the episode and hurley buries people alive and so canonically hurley has killed nikki and Paolo. Right, like mm-hmm. Hurley is a participant in in the mur- not the murder, but the manslaughter at least. Yeah, like Nikki the unintentional Paolo. murder. Yeah, I don't know what Doctor Kincaid Esquire would have to say about that, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's not great. Um, and so canonically, Nikki and Paolo discovered the pearl before John and Echo did. Uh, and so it's like another way of being like, yeah, but these stories weren't worth telling because they weren't interested in any of the shit in there. Uh, like yeah. they, they weren't going to do it. This is like, we're telling you the stories of the people that are doing the things that are driving the drama. Like these people, th- this is, a, this is a, a, a Ronnie and Billy story, you mm-hmm. know, like they find the pearl and then instead like Ronnie has the farts. And so they have to run back into the forest when they don't realize that there's a toilet beneath them. If they were just a little more curious, you know, like they, like that, that's the story that they're telling here. Um, so I get if, it, if, it, if it's not totally your thing, but, but for me, I think as that meta commentary is being driven further, it's this idea, uh, of like uh get just like just look at just how aggravating this is right uh, I, that these two jabronis <laughs> that these also like arse these fellow buttheads these arseholes uh <laughs> are are so close to mythology and yet have no interest at all they have no curiosity about their surroundings like jacob is shaking in his uh in his his freshly uh weaved tapestry Right, exactly. Uh, it's like, oh, look at all these TV screens that spy on other parts of the island. But no, we got to find some place to put diamonds. Let's choose the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think maybe for me, it's this idea of I find so much of the appeal of these flashbacks is like, again, watching them interact to moments that we have already seen and maybe them sort of striking off on their own and having their own sort of moments maybe takes away that appeal for me because that's distinctly different. But I do see what you're talking about of like sort of underlying the fact of like, yeah, they had this golden opportunity in front of them and they didn't even take it. And that just proves how bad these characters are. Yeah. Yep. 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 So now we, uh, we cut back here. Pell is going to like look lingeringly despite Nikki refusing to go down the hatch as it were. Uh, and we cut back to Charlie Hurley and Sawyer, surprise, surprise, shoes on the other foot here and not in a tree for James Ford here as he is now rifling through someone else's stuff. Mm-hmm. He's going through <laughs> Paolo's tent here yeah. uh, and we get a lot of discoveries uh, in this little clip as the trio soon find out that there's more to Nikki and Paolo than meets the eye. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, man, be careful. Why? They don't live here anymore. So, son, check the food. They're eating the same as us and no one else is sick. Could be a virus. Dude. Monster. Creepy, they collected bugs? Ah, I think these were artsies. Collected all kinds of different creepy crawlies before he exploded. They must have been friends. Expose. Did you just say expose? Yeah. What the hell's expose? It's been the most awesome hour of television ever. It's like Baywatch, only better. It's about Ottoman Crystal. Two strippers that solve crimes with the help of their suave, smooth-talking club owner, Mr. Lashad. I miss that one. Check it out. Look at the cast list, Nikki Fernandez. That's got to be what she was in Australia. This must have been her big break. Ah, certainly sounds like it. No way. Mr. Lashad was the Cobra. Is that supposed to mean something? Dude, the Cobra's this big bad guy. His identity's been shrouded in mystery for four seasons. They had a walkie-talkie? Every damn one of those bastards on the other side of the island had one exactly like this hanging from their belts. So how did Nikki and Paolo get one? I'll tell you how. They were working with the others. Well, actually, sir, I believe you mean the other island instead of the other side of the island, mm-hmm. since you do not canonically know about the barracks. Yeah, have you th- have you forgotten all about the barracks, sir? Um, I there there's so much here. Hurley just like wearing his nerd card on his sleeve mm. about expose. Well, also is really uh, Dominic Monaghan sort of wearing his nerd card as well, and him handling that that little jar of bugs too, knowing mm-hmm. what he's going to go on to do. Yeah, you know, he's got his nature program that he's heading towards. All those uh, creepy crawlies. Uh-huh, but for for Hurley, uh him him talking about how the cobra has been shrouded in mystery for four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is this is akin to setting up that the bad guy, like the ultimate bad guy of Lost has kind of been hiding in plain sight. Right. Yep. Like this idea that, uh, you know, whether it was Ben, but that that, you know, that was a pretty short lived mystery. And specifically this idea that like someone you thought was working. I mean, this essentially is sort of like foreshadowing the entire post Jira arc in season five. Right. Exactly. That, like, the yes. person that we think is this character that we all know and love is actually the the big bad who has been planning everything behind the scenes. Right. Exactly. And so like they, they managed to like sort of like map that idea on to and you have to think that at this point they're they're close to like unlocking that idea about unlock right like you mm-hmm. think that the, because they know that there's going to be somebody in in a casket by the end of season three um you can argue whether or not they know who's in the casket yet at that point but i think like seeds of that idea and what they want to do with john Locke versus jack or and, and like sort of like spiritually john Locke and jack right like i feel like a lot of those ideas must be like swirling around as destination points it's just like exactly how do we get there and how do we render it but this i think this this 
whole thing with the Cobra actually does very effectively foreshadow this idea that the the bad guy, like who is who is responsible for all of this, is part and parcel with a question that we've been asking incorrectly all all the way up to this point and beyond to this point is what is the smoke monster when you should be asking who is the smoke monster? Uh, mm-hmm. So I I love it. I I think that you know again this is just me putting my 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 own uh, nerd hat on. Uh, but I think that there's there's a lot of fun to be had in in just like all the metatextual stuff in the episode. What do you think happened to Expose after all this? Because the creator died, uh, and then one of the guest stars died in a plane crash. I mean, I guess reruns were still on at least because uh, as we talked about, David Reyes is going to be watching it. But do you actually think like season four ended up getting? put out there uh yeah i would expect so i feel like uh, as long as it was like you know if the rights are with a studio rather than with uh with howie you know and if it really is as beloved a franchise uh as everybody says if yeah. the show ended on that cliffhanger oh yeah billy if, 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 if being the, the cobra if, people would be pissed well let's i mean actually i don't know how far after the first and second scenes in the flashback take place you know if, if that indeed was the last episode they shot before howard zuckerman died that would have been crazy yeah yeah so i'd like to see the end of expose i think yeah, ex- yeah that, that would have been be like it would have been like the end of the super mario brothers movie right where like they burst in like oh my god it's this thing that we need to take care of in the next movie that's definitely happening and then the next movie definitely doesn't happen it just you just reminded me of how Super Mario Brothers the movie ended. I'm like, wait, how did it? It's like, oh yeah, Daisy shows back up. Yeah, right? Daisy's like, oh, we got to go do this thing. And they're like, great, let's get into action for the movie that we'll never actually conceptualize. Uh, wah, wah, wah. So let's go back here to speaking of another uh, beloved piece of pop culture. Josh, let's talk about whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we get a flashback and we see like Boone and Shannon and Arst. Uh, reading Kate for filth, like they want to know everything. Yeah, and I, I guess we, you know, we talked about this during season one as to like how the case of guns was very, at least from our perspective, very privately held information, right? Like to the point where Locke only found out during homecoming on a need to know basis. Otherwise, though, it seems like somebody's been flapping their gums because now we have a bunch of like pseudo gawkers coming up to Kate and being like, why didn't you tell us about the guns? Is this happening around homecoming? Maybe Uh, it's day day 33. So I'm trying to remember what that is in the timeline. All right. So lost day 33. A quick Google search. Uh, Oh, you can't really look it up that way. So lost homecoming oh uh, yeah well, well you while you talk that while you figure that out i'll talk through what happens here so essentially nikki and paolo are brought in here uh everyone complains about how kate yeah, jack this and is, sawyer this is av- if it's day 33 yep it's so it's this is post homecoming uh, okay so ethan so is dead uh, they said dead, oh, oh yeah. man the guy who in the wisconsin sweatshirt was another oh yes, man yeah so the homecoming has happened at this point Okay, um, so that's that that at least uh, implicates Kate a little bit here and that people are finding out more about the guns because they were necessary. Uh, Kate this is, is able happening to- uh, in the middle of ooh in translation, which takes place on days 32 to 34. Okay, so they're like, well, the raft burned. Let's yeah. see if we can go to the waterfall yeah. and uh, acquire the diamonds here because basically once once they heard about where the case was, Nikki and Paolo go to the waterfall. This is when Paolo, I, I'd imagine that these feelings have sort of been brewing in him for some time but he finally comes right out and asks like hey you know if it wasn't just for the bag would you still be with me but nikki is again fully concentrated on the bag she brings up that the diamonds are worth eight million dollars which listen maybe this is a little bit of like austin powers-esque on our part honestly doesn't seem like much to really 
kill people over? Well, here's the thing about the diamonds, Mike. They're clearly fake. Uh, they are so light, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they are. They they look like stage diamonds. They look like props. They don't look real. So, do you think is this Howie getting one over on Nikki? Is this someone getting one over on Howie? Um, I like to think that Nikki and Paolo are so bad at crime <laughs> that they uh, took Howie's fake diamonds. I, I like that. And the, but Although so- I guess so- Sawyer believes that they're real. You're not going to get one over on Sawyer. Uh, right, because that was one of the hustles that he ran, uh, right, during the during the Cassidy episode. Speaking so of the long just, con, we're going to get to that later on. You just blame it on the prop master. <laughs> well, they, also, not only that, really uh, the prop note that I had later on was the diamonds that Sawyer is going to pour on Nikki and Paolo are different than the, like, the diamonds that we're going to see a couple times in those close-up shots are, look much more like, I don't know, like sugar crystals, like uncut diamonds, (laughs) uncut gems, if (laughs) you will. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But the ones that Sawyer are going to pour on top at the end there are like very finished diamonds. So it's very, unless Sawyer is a jeweler himself, that Mm. seems really weird. Yeah. Uh, Well, he's, he's, you know, bobbed and weaved throughout that industry. So maybe, maybe he would know. Uh, This might be a good time to read uh, one of the most ridiculous pieces of feedback we've ever received on down the hatch let me see wow that and that is saying something uh it's it's pretty great it's pretty great hold on i gotta i gotta access the official down the hatch email account to dig it up uh this is from from the great uh essayist riley wigmore i will read Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. in full riley writes in uh uh so the smoke monster is known for taking many forms whether human or possibly animal and does so to mess with and possibly kill some of the survivors. I know it's a theory that the smoke monster is the Medusa spider that gets Nikki, but my question is, can the smoke monster take the form of an inanimate object? And if he can, Hmm. would he take the form of a lost inanimate object that would lead to people on the island going crazy over them and becoming desperate and acting rashly? Uh, Those diamonds did look pretty fake. What if that was because the smoke monster was the diamonds? Ooh, I love this theory. It's totally in my wheelhouse in terms of being out of the box. So we're talking like Wonder Twins here, right? Where like the smoke monster can take the form of living objects, but also can take the form of like a shape of water, right? But this, of, is, like, this is like the line from Captain Marvel when they're fine, when Talos is like, I'm, I'm on the team and they're talking to Talos and they're asking him about all the things that you can turn into. He's like, I, you know, every, every scroll can do it, but it requires a little practice and dare I say some talent. Uh, and then they're like, uh, yeah, could you turn into a filing cabinet? He goes, why would I turn into a filing cabinet? Yeah, I so think maybe that's it's probably just, it was, the smoke monster here. It's, it's like, not a question t- of if you can, it's whether you should. It's like, why would I turn into some diamonds here? Uh, but even I, the, the man who is constantly holding up the moth and asking if it's a smoke monster, I cannot hold up this bag of diamonds and assume it's the smoke monster. But and so I, in that case, would the, would the smoke monster be the bag and each individual diamond? <laughs> is it one diamond? Is it the know, bag? Man. I don't know. It's not we've, my we've talked bag, about, we've talked baby. About, exactly. We've talked about this as to whether the smoke monster can like divide itself. So yeah. we, we might need a little bit refining on it, but I would love that. If it's like, you know, it's Treasure of the Sierra Madre style, if, if this is what they're fighting over and it turns out it's just the smoke monster. Because I don't think, are Nikki and Paolo candidates 
I know this is my own sort of moth question, but if they're not, this is just them effing with like rando people. Yeah, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know if uh, a crossed out Fernandez is anywhere. On yeah, the... or just Paolo because he has no last name. <laughs> it's like share. Yeah, Cher. yeah. Uh, Escaton. Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if that if that exists. So we cut back because now, obviously, Sawyer is on a new, uh, he's got a new path he's sniffing down right now, the bloodhound that he is, that he now believes, considering that there is precedent that someone like Michael had been turned by the others before, uh, they are discussing the legitimate possibility that Nikki and Paolo are working with the others. Uh, you know, Hurley sort of counters like, no, 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 this wouldn't be the case. But Sun brings up like, Oh, well, others have been in our camp for not even talking about Ethan. Remember when I was kidnapped by the others right here in camp? Cue, you know, very guilty looks from Charlie in particular. Sawyer kind of doesn't give an F. Sawyer's like, I'm going to go do a perimeter sweep. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he and he grabs a gun, which Hurley questions him about. He's seen expose, but apparently not enough cop shows to know what a perimeter sweep is. And while Charlie and son cover up the bodies, Charlie is going to uncover some stuff very soon. Yeah. Uh, he's going to he's going to reveal some some skeletons from his own closet, which is another thing that I think this episode does uh, is it it it, ju- it doesn't just acknowledge the mistakes of Nikki and Paolo, but maybe some of the other assassinations <laughs> of character along the way. Exactly. Like, oh, we're we're in the past now. That was I mean, Charlie will literally say I was a different man. I was season two. Charlie. They were writing me weird. It wasn't my fault. Yeah, and, and a little bit of like previous Sawyer as well, right? Like we find out that Sawyer has a gun that he took that Paolo had on him. Hurley's starting to become leery of Sawyer. We're going to get into later on of like being suspicious of Sawyer, which is like the first season Sawyer of him being so off on his own, doing a bunch of shady stuff. So this is not only a flashback for these two characters, but for some of these good and bad qualities of characters in the past as well. Yeah. All right. So we cut to, I want to say sometime later than the last time. I think it's like day 49. I want to say, but Paolo we talk, so Paolo came up from the water at the waterfall and said, oh, there's a nothing down there but dead bodies. There was not. I think the first clue we should have gotten was the fact that uh, it was a script bag for Expose. And there was a script from Expose that Hurley leaves through. That was probably the first clue that the bag would eventually be found. Paolo has found the bag. He's uh, digging into his nicotine gum and he is trying to... He's he's digging a hole, which, again, uh, is going to be foreshadowing for what happens to him and ruminating as to what to do with the Russian doll. And he has happened upon... Not by Nikki, but by another uh, individual who is harboring his own secrets. This is a short and sweet conversation between Paolo and John Locke. Nice night. What you doing? Nothing. It looks like you're digging a hole. Every man's entitled to his secrets, Paolo, but can I give you a piece of advice? Please, John. You should put the shovel away and save yourself some trouble. Why is that? Things don't stay buried on this island. The beach is eroding. Winter's coming, high tide. Whatever it is you're hiding, make sure you pick a spot that won't wash away. See you back at camp. 
All right. I got to call out Locke's uh, another Wikipedia fact check here for John Locke, because winter in the South Pacific is very different from winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Actually, it would be summer in the South Pacific, so uh, not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, but he could also, uh, there's a couple of things to say about this. One is he could be a big fan of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, which is uh, published through, I think at this point, um, I don't know if A Feast for Crows is published or about to be published. Uh, uh, speaking so, of another type of uh, book series that splits up focus between the, multiple characters. And just to put that in perspective, so either uh, either book four of A Song of Ice and Fire has been or is just about to be released by the time that the lost characters have crashed on the island. And to this date, in 2020, only one additional book has been released. So wow. <laughs> just to put... All of that in perspective. George! Uh, so there's that. Uh, the other thing could be uh, that Locke just like thinks like it's a good metaphor and he could just drop it on on Paolo and also like doesn't think that Paolo is going to like uh, challenge him on it because he, he's betting like he doesn't know that it's winter or not. So it's just like Locke doing Locke things. Uh, could also just be he do- he legitimately doesn't know because Locke often poses as an expert, but as, as we've fact-checked, gets things wrong. Very frequently. So I think a, a few options on the board. This is day 49, which means this is what John Locke is up to during uh, Collision. So mm-hmm. this, if it's the night of day 49, then it means he's on his way back from the hatch where he and Mr. Echo have just watched the missing reel uh, footage um, right. from, uh, from the where they, where they were told, don't go and type in the computer because you'll get dad. Bad. Right. Yeah. So exactly. So you get that. Uh, so he at this point is coming to Paulo with his faith rewarded. Uh, a secret of the island has unburied itself very recently. Yeah. And and this is also like I even think before the hatch stuff, this is very in character for John Locke. Right. He himself, who carries a big secret that he will only review to a select few of people like he's basically like, no, everything doesn't need to be out in the open. Every man's entitled to his secrets, Paulo. But do yourself a favor and like keep your path, keep your hands clean. You know, like, if you're gonna be uh, super secretive about stuff, don't get caught doing it, is essentially the advice that Locke gives to Paolo. Yes. And that is and that is going to drive Paolo to go back, or for the first time, I suppose, down the hatch, into the Pearl, and specifically into the bathroom of the Pearl as he places the Russian doll in the toilet tank. Yes. But, <laughs> but, he, is, but he is not alone, as we hear a voice off-camera chastise uh, a derelict other for leaving one of the TV screens on as it's Ben and Juliet mm-hmm. coming here. This is obviously before the events of one of them, before Ben places himself undercover. They are ruminating over what to do with Jack Shepard, who is on the screen right now. There's a, you know, Juliet says he's cute and it's part tongue in cheek and part them really underlining that love quadrangle. And Ben outright says what he does. I find out what he's emotionally invested in. And, and I, I exploit, exploit it. it. Yeah, yeah. So this is about um, I. So if it's day forty nine, so this is a, a, somewhere in the window of ten days between now and um, Ben getting caught in the net. Um, so you know we don't know exactly when Paolo is, is in the Pearl Station hiding the thing. It could be you know the day after. It could be day fifty. Either way, they're like a, about like a week, week plus from from Ben getting caught. Is is how far back. Ben is thinking about 
the Michael stuff because Michael has just been captured, basically, or right. he's just about to be captured. Right, because um, the hunting party is the episode before one of them. Yeah, so it's uh, I think it's or no, no, they've been in the fire, fire, yeah, fire plus yeah. water. And then. So if it, if this is happening around the time of the hunting party and they've just caught Michael, um, then it stays fifty one to fifty two. Uh, so they've got some time to be here and to start formulating that plan. Yeah, uh, but they're so concentrated on that that it does seem like they leave uh, a walkie-talkie behind, which will now we know that, oh, it's all a big misunderstanding, uh, which will be the theme of this episode in the end, that, you know, the the walkie-talkie was just sort of Paolo holding onto it, much like many of his secrets. I want to stop down here for a second, Josh, to go into sound number six, because we we do this sometimes, but very rarely on Down the Hatch. Sound number six is going to be sound from a deleted scene from this episode. I initially, this was a very last minute pivot. I initially had the Ben Juliet talk in here, but upon watching this deleted scene, which was called a uh, people can change from this episode, you know, we're going to get a Nikki and Paolo conversation later on that I think hammers homes, their dynamic and how they feel uh, about spending their lives on the Island. But there's another really interesting scene between the two of them that unfortunately hit the cutting room floor. So let me set this up a bit. Um, so people can change is another flashback. It takes place following or during the purple sky incident. So the, the first, it's like a three and a half minute clip. I won't play the first minute and a half because it's Nikki reacting to the purple sky. We see Bernard, which made me realize, Josh, that Rose and Bernard have been absent from season three up to this point. I didn't even realize that. Uh, but essentially Nikki is shell shocked from this, much like Paolo was on day one. She is all out of sorts with what happened with the purple sky. And Paolo is going to sit down and talk with her and remembering you know where they are in the context of everything paolo has now put the has the diamonds but is keeping them safe and secret from nikki this is the conversation that they're going to have son number six it's fine nikki. we're okay no, paolo we're not okay if you didn't notice this guy just turned purple no but it's back now it's back Take a deep breath. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a walk down the beach, look for the bag, bring a picnic lunch, and forget all about whatever there was. Okay? I don't know what anymore. What are you talking about? You know the day of the crash, Paolo, when people were dying all around us? you and you were alive you know what my first thought was I hope he has the bag and that is so wrong and I don't want to be that person anymore you're a good person Nikki no I'm not and you put up with me this whole time and you deserve better okay Nikki I have, what we have to do, we have to start making friends with people in camp, you know? What? They don't want anything to do with us. They never have. But that's our fault. I mean, we kept to ourselves. We can't do that anymore. We have to start caring about them. I thought you said you'd rather die alone. 
It's a really, it's a really, really interesting. And I'll be honest, Josh, I kind of wish it made the episode. No, I totally disagree. Really? I could not disagree harder that they have to have a scene that explains why they haven't been hanging out with everybody is ridiculous. Hanging out. No one knows who we are. We've been keeping to ourselves. Like, I don't need anything like that. And in fact, I think you throw this into expose uh, and I think it really dilutes what expose succeeds at. Uh, which is just making this like a cartoon effectively. This mm. is like, it's like an animated episode of Lost almost. It's just like a total lark. Um, the second that you really try to humanize these characters in this way, I think that that is now trying to have your cake and eat it too. And they really can't afford to do that. I even just listening to this, uh, I just had douche chills. Like it just did not feel right to me at all. Uh, like Nikki, we can go down. We'll have a picnic. We'll forget all well, about. I mean, the listen, day. it was bad on it was bad on Paolo's part to assume that they'd have a picnic, considering that is the kiss of death. I'll, I'll shave truffles. Like I'll do it. I got all this. I also, In, I, I minute, also Josh, you were just on it. You were off on the wrong foot as soon as they mentioned the purple sky, and Paolo said it doesn't matter. It's okay now. Yeah, look at it. It's turned black. Oh God, it's night. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm out on this. Fully, fully, fully could not be more hard out on on that scene. Uh, but, I, I think, like, but I think it, you're, it you're out on them it way too much. Well, that's the thing. You're out on it for a really interesting reason because I'm in on it because I think Nikki is terrible in this episode, and I'm grateful that there's at least a little glimpse of her being somewhat guilty of her actions. Granted, like you said, does it take away from the two-dimensional cartoon villain s shading? Perhaps, but also as someone who doesn't want to completely hate Nikki for an, a 42-minute episode, I'm grateful for that at least. Yeah, no, I want to hate Nikki and Paolo. You know, wow. like I, 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 I think that the, I think that the second that they try to like, you know, this episode apologizes for the 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 unmitigated gall of trying to have two eight one fivers from the background become series regulars three seasons into the game, um, and I I think if they are trying to dimensionalize them in any way other than this was a mistake and we're sorry. Uh, and to have them as mistakes underlining the ways in which the rest of the show is so great, I think that's a, a huge tactical error. Um, so, and and even even if that wasn't uh, my main point, I would also say I think that just the way that the 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 dialogue goes in that, like it feels it feels very weak. It feels like a mm. weak scene to me. Um, I'm really glad that they they had the the wherewithal to delete that. Uh, I think it does not deserve to belong in expose. And if that is in expose, I think it's a bad enough scene that it diminishes my views of expose because wow, it, it that's takes like away the, lo- the lone thing to bring down. I personally, I think would say it- the lone thing to bring it down, but I think it, it changes expose significantly. I see in my opinion. I think it is a fine scene to use in lost, not a good scene to use in expose. That's where I would settle. I think if you put two other characters in here and we put her in an episode of lost, you're like, great. This is a great way to humanize these characters. But to your point, if the purpose in expose is to completely bury these characters, for lack of a better term, we do not need moments to make them fully three dimensional. Absolutely not. No. 
So we cut back to the present, and hey, Desmond's making an appearance in this episode. <laughs> so Desmond is hysterical here. Uh, from uh, I believe it was April who who said that uh, she watches expose as a standout often, uh, and that this uh, watch of of expose for for April uh, in rewatching, like there's just like different lines that that stand out for her, and for her this time. Uh, it's Hurley comes up to Desmond and asks if he's heard that Nikki and Paolo have died and Desmond totally deadpans. I tragic. Uh, April says, I don't know why, but I completely lost it. This man is doing the absolute most to save Charlie's life over and over again, but he couldn't give a crap about Nikki and Paolo. And it is fantastic. Um, my favorite line from this is when Desmond tells her like, I saw her earlier today with your mate. And Hurley goes, my mate. And Desmond goes, I, ya boy, Sawyer. Yeah. Hey, it's your boy, Sawyer. <laughs> ya, ya boy, Sawyer is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, so basically, to yada yada through this scene, uh, Hurley, this is now the part of the procedural where, like, they try to enlist help from, like, their expert. In this case, it's Desmond saying, hey, use your freaky psychic powers to figure out what happened. But Desmond says, doesn't look work that way, brother. And Hurley sort of chastises Desmond saying he has, quote, a pretty weak superpower. But Desmond does... Feed Hurley's uh, fire of suspicion against Sawyer by saying that your boy was talking to Nikki earlier today. And if he's denying that he knows her, that's a little sus. Uh, meanwhile, Vincent is being a bit of a troll and uncovering the bodies. Well, actually not a troll because he's making sure that Nikki and Paolo are breathing uh, because they are indeed alive. There and they is a push. There's been a push to to get Vincent an MVP point this episode. Uh, and I, I, I'm looking at our MVP points and I don't know where we give that. But I think that there is a very strong argument that Vincent save, is, is the only one trying to save Nikki and Paolo because Vincent knows I do think Vincent probably deserves an MVP mm. point here. Uh, if the show isn't one that doesn't want to save Nikki and Paolo, then why do we give credit to Vincent for yeah, trying to do so? I guess that's a so. fair point. All right, no, no MVP point for by Vincent your logic. To die. Then by like the deleted <laughs> scene logic, Vincent get an LVP point for trying to save their lives. I mean, I think what Vincent is doing is good. I think it's better that he fails. Uh, but I think what <laughs> Vincent's trying to do is worthy of an MVP point, and it is better that he fails. Uh, success. Uh, victory is not the ultimate marker of success. Right, moral victory if, if Vince yes. is able to do so. But it's also delaying the inevitable that yes. he... Uh, that he uh, though maybe, I don't know, it's a sort of would you rather be asphyxiated by a blanket or get buried alive is a real fine line I don't there. know that I want to be asphyxiated by anything. I mean, you, you don't get a choice. You're paralyzed. I guess, I guess. But Hurley essentially takes his findings back to Charlie and Son. Son is still in the pro-Sawyer camp saying like, no, 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 it was the others who kidnapped me. Uh, while Hurley leaves to sort of assert his own matters, Charlie finally says, yeah, I remember that episode, The Long Con. Yeah, that was actually Sorry, me. Sorry, Son, I did that. Uh, the, char- the, the character writing on me last year was just really out of whack. It I, if I could do it over, I wouldn't do any of that. Yeah, and but a little bit gets shunted off onto Sawyer, right? He sort of finishes his confession by saying, but also it was Sawyer's idea. Yeah, Sawyer's I was idea. I was his student. I wonder, Josh, how much of the whole Charlie's death clock concept plays into this, right? Is this him sort of like, you know, um, making amends in the past that he knows that he's sort of like yeah, uh, he's on back, the way out? He's, he's, le- he's in, a, in a better place right now, even as he's in a scary place right now. Like, I think like he's in a very scary place right now. Um, but it's oddly it's not quite as dark as where he was because right now he feels like back then he didn't feel like he had much worth living for right now he does 
Uh, and so the idea of mort- his imminent mortality, like I think that that is very frightening for him. Um, so I think that that's a piece of it. But I also do think that this is like an episode that wants to be all apologies for for things that like the show feels like it's done poorly at this point. Uh, and I'm sure that there's a lot more that they would apologize for. But within the context of expose and the character combinations that they have, these are the apologies that make sense to issue at this moment in time in the language of the show. Uh, and so for for Charlie to stand up and do this, I think is like the writers acknowledging to a degree that like, yeah, the season two Charlie storyline is not our favorite. I would also call this almost like least hits for Charlie instead of greatest hits where I can imagine he's just sort of like making the rounds and he's realizing some of the his favorite memories. They're also reminders of some of his worst memories and you know we are composites of our memories sometimes we need to acknowledge the bad with the good i can imagine him sort of going through charlie pays this is your life oh yeah i did that i kidnapped this woman and she is really beating the drum that the others did this i cannot die without letting her know what the truth is yeah the whole truth that is i the whole truth yeah i i think uh i think that there's there's pieces of that there for sure uh, like I think, like he's more contemplative right now. You know, I think that he's uh, he's a man looking down into the abyss, and he he doesn't yeah. he doesn't want to go without regret. Yeah, I mean, uh, Charlie's case up to this point had been taking on water, much like the toilet tank. Where uh, we we now cut to the events of further instructions. We sort of get a replay of now we understand why Paolo was so uh, shaken when Nikki taking up the attitude that she talks about at the end of the deleted scene is like, oh, no, let's just be like gung ho about the group. I'm done looking for the diamonds. Paolo realizes that they are going to the Pearl, which is not a good idea. And now we see the other side of the Paolo takes a shit scene where essentially Paolo is uh, takes apart the dolls. He Virgin Mary statue style just curb stomps the last one of them and crotch idols the diamonds, Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was in my pants. Exactly. The diamonds are in my pants. They're in my pants. You don't want to touch this, Richard Alpert. Uh, huh. But then to cover up the tracks, Paolo just, in my opinion, I don't know, maybe a plumber can follow up about this, completely destroys the toilet by putting all the broken remnants of all the Russian dolls back in there and flushing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the toilet still works uh, or worked. Yeah, the toilet. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember, Josh, is this the last time we see the Pearl? I can't remember. I don't recall going to the Pearl after this. It doesn't I, come to mind. Yeah. I don't believe we do. Yeah, so this is a wrap on the Pearl. Is we, pa- we Paolo are, clogging the toilet. We are. Uh, we see the roof of the Pearl. We, we see the Beechcraft again uh, mm-hmm. at least twice that I can think of, but I cannot recall going into the Pearl another time. Yeah, so I guess let's, that's a wrap on, uh, on the, the, imi- the interior the of the Pearl. Both the and the Pearl. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, many pieces of jewelry go bye-bye in this episode, and so does the Pearl, which I guess is maybe another sort of burial of loss as well. Like, not to say, I don't think the Pearl was a failure because it really informs John Locke's decisions in the last parts of season two, but I don't know, maybe the writers were not too keen on using it as a concept, so they were mm-hmm. fine getting rid of it here. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. So going back here, finally the confrontation occurs. Uh, Hurley essentially tells Sawyer everything that he knows uh, I love Sawyer does like a real grave stare at Desmond when he finds out that Desmond essentially snitched on him yeah because uh, Sawyer and Desmond don't have a lot of moments together over the course of the show they're very few and far between I think there's one coming up next week um, and I think that that's like basically it 
so like <laughs> Sawyer and Desmond never really get the chance to 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 truly like grow yeah. out. Well, plus Sawyer went to prison, right? He knows the stitch code, and yeah. so it, like he he's he's very so did unhappy. Desmond. So did Desmond. That's actually very true, but maybe it's different in the UK. Maybe yeah. they're more I don't know. Uh, they're, they're more proper about everything, but. Sawyer basically comes clean uh, with his dirty fingernails. Uh, he basically says, like, the reason why I was keeping this secret is I noticed that when Charlie brought up the gunk under his fingernails, that it was dirt. It means she was digging for something. This is what she was digging for. And he hands over the diamonds, uh, no matter how they look. And it looks like a little bit of selfish Sawyer peeking through here as he reveals, like, yeah, I kept this a secret because I wanted to hoard these $8 million diamonds for myself. Yeah, he's like, what happens if we do get out of here? You know, it would be nice. Nice to have. And, and Hurley's and, like, dude, you could have just asked for a loan. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, a scene in succession where uh, the the Roys are like dunking on uh, cousin Greg, who is like, yeah, well, when my grandpa dies, he's going to leave me everything. That's like $4 million. And I'll be able to, 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 you know, live for the rest of my life on that. And the Roys are like, $4 million. You're like the, 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 the weakest person in the rich room. Uh, that's like what Hurley is uh, all but uh, able to say to to Sawyer in this moment. It's like, oh, $8 million. Woo! Look at this guy. Yeah, Dawson, like, we, got, oh, we got $8 million screw, here. See, nobody screw cares. Screw you guys. Screw you guys so hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hang on to the diamonds. You've come this far, Sawyer. I feel like uh, you've all, your reputation has already taken a hit. Yeah, well, and it's also a thing of like, it's two steps forward and one step back for him. Or like, he has make some concessions to Hurley's, uh, to Hurley's point several weeks ago. He, he has earned the points. He is now sort of getting dunked on in a ping pong fashion, but has sort of now made friends on the island separate from Kate and Jack. But he's still Sawyer at the end of the day. And so he can't help but sort of dive into the man that he's been or tried to be for so long. And that includes being super squirrely between taking a gun from Paolo and stealing the diamonds without needing to let everyone know about the plan. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's cut to a Nikki and Paolo scene that is probably more palatable uh, from Josh's palatable. point of view. Yeah. Exactly. And that it, it, uh, in that it made uh, the episode and therefore probably does not humanize these characters in a, a bit. Nikki and Paolo decide us to ruminate about their varying perspectives about things. Now that at least from one perspective, the hope of rescue seems nigh. Again, let's remember, Nikki thinks the diamonds are a foregone conclusion. Paolo obviously does not. But here's where the two characters are standing at this point in time. Or sitting, because they're in the sand. Did you know Thanksgiving was two weeks ago? We miss it, Paolo, just like we're going to miss everything. You're going to find us. We'll get rescued. You'll see. <laughs> Okay, where did this sudden burst of optimism come from? I don't know, I guess. That's how we look at things. Like the bag. I mean, maybe not finding it was good for us. How do you figure that? Look what it did. It might have torn us apart. but paolo isn't saying wait here to nikki he's saying wait here to his pack of nicotine gum yeah which he's leaving behind in the sand and so the reason why i like this scene a lot better which i think is getting 
quicker to the notes that are played in that deleted scene, Mike, is that there is still intrigue here, right? Mm -hmm. And we're still following the line of these extremely shitty people, (laughs) even in a nice moment, are going to hard turn towards extremely shitty Right, that's the thing is that Nikki has now sort of, she's come to acceptance, right, in the grieving process. Uh She's like, well, we won't find the bag. I'm good. And then as soon as she finds the gum, it's going to make Proof her of life. And she's like, Oh, Bella. oh well, good. I'm oh, making a beeline, son of a bitch. <laughs> making a beeline or a spider line for yeah. that Medusa spider. I should also yeah. mention here, cause we hear a little bit of credit where credit is due in the episode and to go a bit into the Jim Fells of it all. So this episode, true to the theming of it, calls back a lot of season one motifs. Uh, like, for example, when Kate and Saeed talk about climbing up the hill, uh, we hear that motif in this episode. We hear the plane crash motif again. So there really are about calling back to uh, to things in, in many different ways. But yeah, Nikki's mood definitely turns as soon as she sees uh, that that nicotine gum. And it cuts to nicotine. her immediately approaching Sawyer. This is the conversation that, so- that uh, Desmond heard between Nikki and your boy. Your boy, Sawyer. Where yeah. Nikki, you know, basically asks, like, give me a gun. Sawyer essentially sh- brushes her off, tells her to go stick her head in the ocean to cool off for a while. Uh, and Nikki's final words to Sawyer are, thanks for nothing, which he says to her as he begins to dig the grave here. Yeah. Um, and as Sun is uh, stumbling upon Sawyer digging his grave, she's going to prevent him from digging his own grave in another perspective. She is going to, quote unquote, confront him about the kidnapping. It's been a long time coming, Josh. Basically, an entire season to the episode since this has happened. Let's see the two chatted out here. Charlie told me it was your idea to kidnap me. You gonna tell Jen? No. Why not? Because then we'd have to dig another grave. Why you give me these? Because they're worthless here. See, I thought I was going to get out of this battle. This is a badass sun scene. Very good sun scene. Uh, I I would honestly say the most badass sun scene until we get there's no place like home where she flat out like calls Charles Charles Winmore to his face. Yeah, that's that's pretty cold blooded as well. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love sun being like, no, I I know how to keep secrets from Jin. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm that's the thing as well. And, and, and you can imagine that that's one reason why she does forgive Sawyer from a certain perspective is because she like much like Locke with Paolo, she knows firsthand what it's like to keep a secret that can change everything. But also a great like uh you know sort of chest pump on Sun's part to be like, no, I I wouldn't tell Jin because uh yeah he was basically in like the mob under my father and he would probably kill you He'd if probably he found murder out murder you and I don't want another death. Uh, we, we've already we're all tired from digging. These yeah, let me tell you about the day he came home with blood on his hands yeah yeah so uh i i love this scene from from a son she nearly got an mvp point from me this i know week. i was i was i was right. very close to giving her one as well but uh, there's just a, a lot of candidates to give mvp points and the two really obvious ones to give the lvps to so uh yeah i i i love this moment i think it, it's very in character uh, Sun does not always tell Jin everything, especially if she thinks it's going to hurt him uh, or somebody else. And for the greater good here, she's like, I'm making the judgment call. 
that I'm letting this go, but also mm. F you, dude. <laughs> well, also, it's not, it wouldn't be Jin's call. Like, at the end of the day, it should be Sun is the one who makes the decision, much like sort of the whole, uh, totally. ad- yep. the whole uh, Amira thing from Enter 7 7, right? Like, this, this stuff was done to her. She should be the last person yes. to decide it. And I do think that her making the decision, again, is couched in a lot of her own path, but also hopefully means, as we talked about, that that's sort of like the more deplorable stuff that Charlie and Sawyer did, particularly in seasons one and two are sort of behind us now. We are turning the page, as you spoke about with your metaphors before, for a lot of these characters, and that sort of shows with Sawyer here. Uh, and so this is what's going to get us into the end game, pretty much. Yeah, and so uh, it's going to get into Nikki and Paolo's end game, for sure, as Hurley uh, gives a eulogy here. Uh, it's, it's been a little while, right? We had the, the Anna Lucia and Libby funeral was the last time there, there were speeches given. Obviously, again, in a fun little lampshade moment, Hurley... Not much to say about Nikki and Paolo. They said good stuff to him. They were members of the camp. And Hurley <laughs> loves expose. Those yeah, are the three Hurley things. Loves expose. <laughs> and the but, three uh, talking points. But, uh, you know, Hurley's great in this episode of, like, being sort of the glue that keeps everyone together, right? Like, I mm-hmm. think, like, being, uh, you know, once again, this week and next week, there are these underlying stories of Hurley as the leader of this group. Uh, even though like the the story next week will literally be about Hurley trying to convince Sawyer that he's the leader of this group, um, and I think like that's a leadership move. Uh, so I I love I love President Reyes in this yeah. episode. You know, I I love what Hugo is doing, um, and the fact that he finds himself in the eulogy spot here, I think, tells you everything you need to know about how Lost was planning that in the end, like the happy ending is to like leave this very important place in the hands of a gentle king. So that's going to take us into the last moments we see Nikki and Paolo at least walking. Uh, so Nikki leads Paolo out into the middle of the jungle. <laughs> She's and- like, hey, Paolo. And he's like, what? Like, Paolo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paolo. <laughs> Nikki. <Sorry. laughs> Yeah, uh, so this is when she Medusa spiders him, and she yeah. aggressively throws the spider onto him. Right, so here's the thing. So Nikki leads Paolo and says, like, I found the diamonds, Paolo. And he goes, oh, really? And she says, yeah, they're on you right now. Where are they? <laughs> and before he even, like, is able to stammer out an answer, she uncorks the Medusa spider, throws it onto him, and then just gives a very menacing expo dump about how, oh, the Medusa spider actually comes from the fact that if it bites you, you become paralyzed or paralyzed, for around eight hours. And so essentially, Nikki sort of monologues here, uh, syndrome style, where she talks about like, oh, yeah, you thought you could get away with this. I'm going to do so much bad stuff to you. I don't know what that means, either of a sexual variety or not, but it's still a little menacing. When Nikki forgets, and Dr. Ars told her, even through his love goggles, is that the Medusa spider's pheromones attract many other males of the species Mm -hmm. from all around congregating onto it like seagulls on a hot dog bun. And so as Paolo, you know, tears are streaming down his face, I think he is very sincere. He's not an actor like Nikki. I do think he's very sincere about like, listen, the only reason why wearing a chef's coat, that's the only, yeah. The only reason why I did this is maybe part of greed, but also because like I wanted to get it out of sight, out of mind, because I was afraid what would happen with your greed. Uh, but Nikki is not having it. He says, I'm sorry. She says, I'm only sorry. You're only sorry because you got caught. And spiders encroach on Nikki. And Josh, we hear a familiar rattle here. We do. We hear the 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 hum of the smoke monster. And um, 
on on the official Lost podcast in March 21, uh, 2008, Damon Lindelof confirms that these spiders are indeed the monster, which makes me wonder a little bit, like, how did the effects of the Medusa spider translate then? Unless, like, the smoke monster was, like, the Pied Piper. And, yeah, like, exactly. Pied Piper a shit ton of Medusa spiders to Nikki and one of them bites her. Uh, it, maybe it's that. I don't know. Like, maybe, like... At least one errant Medusa spider sees a bunch of smoke monster Medusa spiders like, yeah, I'm going with that. Um, but then it also like you imagine because the smoke monster rules as as we understand them as the smoke monster takes on the likeness of some someone dead on the island. Uh, so does that mean that there is just like a dead nest of Medusa spiders somewhere <laughs> that the monster is imitating at this moment in time? I don't know, but, but I don't know. We talked about like the boar, right? From Alice. I think the difference mm-hmm. between like the boar and the horse and this is that the boar and the horse did not injure or impact the A15ers that were chasing after them. This spider, or at least maybe it was taking the form of one spider. Maybe it was taking the form of like the lead spider and then let one of the other spiders actually bite Nikki. Because I, I think, can't imagine that it would actually cause paralysis. In I her. think Smokey here is of a couple of minds of like one is like Nikki and Palos suck. These guys are idiots. These guys suck and they don't deserve to live. So this is more of a mercy kill of like, well, I can have them in here and like so distrust within the group, but like, let's just get rid of them. Well, it's a mercy killing, I guess, to some extent, but it's also like an agonizing way for these two people to die. And I think for the smoke monster, if the smoke monster's involved, it's like, "Uh, let's see what these guys do with two bodies that they think are B-O-D-Y-S but are actually still alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, Michael Jackson popcorn thriller gif and uh, see how this all shakes out. Uh, and so, you know, if the smoke monster is all about chaos, this is definitely a win for chaos. Yeah. Plus, it might cause some more, you know, if it knows about like the walkie talkie, for instance, <laughs> I don't know how much intel it has on the camp. Like it definitely caused a ruckus for an afternoon. Right. We're like they couldn't trust them and then nobody trusted Sawyer. And it was just a, a big to do. Speaking of Sawyer. So we see now what happens. Nikki gets bit and she her paralysis does not take as much effect as Paolo because Paolo got straight in the jugular. Uh, and Nikki at least gets bit on the ankle. So she has some time to run out to the clearing, say very clearly now what we know is paralyzed before becoming such but 815 does not know that and we get what i still believe i will hammer home what i said last week this is the darkest ending in lost history as hurley and sawyer unintentionally bury nikki alive as her eyes open uh in the very last shot uh it's some very haunting music from jacchino that i'm gonna play in the outro for this podcast because it's just so menacing and gruesome and dark as hell it's dark but it's very very funny dark (laughs) things can be funny though you know i think like it's the darkest ending i i don't know that i that i agree i think that there's uh certainly i think that that the darkest ending of this is also something that's very linked to this episode and what i would say is that this ending is one of two endings uh on lost that stand out to me as like heavily Stephen King inspired. Like Exposé feels like a a short Stephen King story. And Uncle Steve writes his stories that are often filled with grim contents in ways that are often comedic, that are ridiculous, that are absurdist. And all of that quality is here. Like very dark comedy type of ending to this story that like the irony is they were not dead the whole time. And that now by eulogizing and burying them, you're the ones who are killing them and you'll never know it. Uh, And the audience will be the only ones who ever know it. Um, That is super Stephen King, a version uh, of a Stephen King type of ending to me that happens much later in Lost that I think is linked through that same mechanism 
but is not funny and is actually just dark and cruel irony and to me is the darkest ending in all of Lost pretty much without peer is Daniel Faraday getting killed by his own mom in the variable uh, mm. like that is that is dark that isn't funny that's ironic uh, that his life was all building towards this moment and it was inevitably building towards this moment where he finally thinks that he's cracked science but he's wrong he's just fulfilling his grim destiny um, that is so much bleaker this is played for laughs this is played for laughs right but I'm not uh, like saying you're, but, you're, but, you're, but, you're, you're supposed to walk away from expose thinking that it's that it's ridiculous and funny that Hurley and Sawyer have done yeah, this. But, but we like, have to take the uh, take the absolute value. Again, let me give you a... Josh, would you rather be shot or buried alive, suffocating slowly to death? Yeah, but I don't think that that defines the choice. I think, the, the to- I, 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 think, I think it defines the choice, personally. I think the tone defines the choice. I think the tone defines the choice. I think the tone of what's happening and also, like... Sure, being buried alive is absolutely awful compared to the way that Daniel goes, which is also really bad. But Daniel's entire life is effectively being buried alive. His entire life is being pushed onto a track to get him to the moment where he gets killed by his own mom. Very knowingly by his mom, knowing from the moment he is born that this is where he will end up. That is extraordinarily dark. His entire life that's filled with pain and choices that are not his because he's being pushed on this path of inevitability. That is tremendously horrible. So I'm it's tremendously it is, it horrible. Not, it is not even close. I completely disagree. It's, it's not as horrible as two beloved characters getting blood on their hands by burying two. Just because you get a chuckle out of it, that yeah, it's means that it's tone. not... It's completely disagree. It's not about the tone. It's not right, about the I, tone whatsoever. I would I would love to get people to weigh in. Which do you think is the darker ending, expose or the variable? Down the hatch at posterrecaps.com. We are in hard disagreement over this one. We're in hard disagreement, uh, which is we're in agreement about most of this episode. But I mean, like, it's it's not even close for me. It's not even close. It's I'll dark, be a- but it's funny. It's funny. It's played for laughs. It's a joke. The whole thing is a shaggy dog story for this moment, which is a gas. It's a gas. It's ridiculous. It is another commentary of like, yeah, we're going to we're going to bury these characters, but they were alive once. Uh and they are alive as they're being buried alive. And it's also supposed to I think make you feel kind of bad for like wishing death upon Nikki and Powell. It's like, all right, well careful what you wish for. We're burying them alive and your favorite characters are doing it and you're like, "Oh, I feel icky." Yeah. I feel you know what? Gross. You know what? Th- this ending really reminds me. And again, take the comedic elements out of it almost like it is a very much like a black mirror twilight zone ending right because exactly. it is about it, it, it is about the irony yes. of like of all the things it actually reminds me of um god what was it hayden in the nation i think is the black mirror episode where spoiler alert basically people were using hashtags to be like kill so and so and a serial killer was using a bunch of robotic bees not spiders to kill those people so it was like look the blood is on your hands for wishing death upon them and this is kind of the message like you said it's very cathartic on behalf of the lost writers to shrug off these characters have them shrug off their mortal coil but it's also a way to sort of point it back on the viewers of like well you wanted us to get rid of Nikki and Paulo. Well, this is we how we it. did it. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah, I think it's messed up. It's absolutely messed up. But when you say like, man, that's messed up, you say it with this tone of voice. When you think about what happens to like a Daniel Faraday, you're like, man, that sucks. Because uh, you care about the character. You don't care about Nikki and Paolo, mm. but it does it does make you reflect on your own bloodlust is I mean, what uh, the Nikki I'll, and Paolo thing does. I'll kind of admit, and this speaks to my own proclivities, I, I kind of had the expose-like reaction to the end of the variable. Okay, interesting. 
Um, I think like there's definitely ways in which like uh, in the in the way that like I can at least laugh in the face of extraordinary adversity because how else am I going to survive that moment? Uh, that I can I can find myself laughing about aspects of the variable for sure. But I think that the tone it's it's decisively meant to make you feel awful. Whereas like, the tone of this maybe is designed to make you feel awful, but also as a joke, also right. as a lark. Well, I think as someone who uh, has made his way through a lot of dark comedy, I think there is certainly room to do awful things, but still with a comedic tone to it. All right. Well, well, weigh in on the great debate, uh, which is the which is the bleaker ending, expose or the variable. I think it's a great debate. I love it. Um, yeah. Let's get into some feedback. We got a lot yeah. of feedback for this one. There's tons to to get through. One, this is from uh, the Ben behind the curtain that apparently uh, the writer of Expose uh, is a character named uh, Rick Lapidus. Oh, <gasps> what? Rick Lapidus. Apparently, Eddie Kitsis is obsessed with the name Lapidus. Uh, I mean, a Le- Frank Lapidus. I mean, not only is it going to be like an MVP character coming up, but like a pretty MVP name as well. A great name. Uh, I guess Rick Lapidus is one of the actors on Expose on on one of the the script pages you see. Uh, so it 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 leaves us to wonder what's his connection to Frank. Uh, so Rick Lapidus gets on the show, and then as they were coming up with the idea of Frank as a character, Edward Kitsis insisted on the name Frank Lapidus. So not only is Frank Lapidus connected to Seth Norris, the pilot of 815, yeah. but is also connected to the world of, of Exposé. Like, you can imagine, Mike, the world in which to get some side cash, Frank Lapidus is moonlighting as Rick Lapidus uh, as like a background player. I mean, he's very chesty Burt Reynolds, right? Mm, or, uh, it could, or it could be a thing where he was going to be like, all right, I'm going to fly to, to Sydney, typical route, going to yeah. visit my brother on the set of Expose, and then yeah. I'll fly right back. You know, typical yeah. typical turnaround. And just because he ended up not going in that day, his life changed. Yeah. Um, all right. So is Expose good or bad? We've got some people commenting on this. The great Trevor Roberts writes in, I remember hating this episode when it first aired. It felt like masturbatory writing, oddly set up in a genuine filler episode. But on the rewatch, I want a bitch slap 2007 <laughs> trailer. I love Son and Sawyer. Yeah, because I freaking love it. The weaving in of two characters through the story's full arc thus far in a bizarre this is how we do a clip show on Lost only to kill them. It's delicious, calculated, and smart as balls. Uh, Brian Edwards writes in Expose. For me, this is the episode that makes me mad at the viewers. Specifically, the viewers who refused to give Nikki and Paolo a chance. They could have been so <laughs> good had, fault. had fans not so narrow-mindedly rejected them. Had the original plan happened, we would have had an incredible storyline, and the events of this episode would have played out over several episodes with the X was a flashback uh, fake-out playing over a whole episode, only to be revealed at the end. It would have been so fun to watch, but this is still a fantastic episode. Funny, twisted, and with the absolute best jaw-dropper of an ending. It still gets me... Every single time, uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick weighs in and says, I think my favorite part of Expose is that it gives us more Ethan and even Arst at Jack's Live Together Die Alone speech. It's like a special F you from Damon and Carlton of you believe these two people were there the whole time but uh, in Ethan and Arst, but not Nikki and Paolo. Mm. Um, I, and it's, Trevor brings up a good point in particular. Like, would you consider this? I don't think it's clip show, but like clip show esque in what it's going for. Um, I think that there's an element of that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I think like uh, in terms of like show within a show, um, there there is an element of just like resetting and reminding you of 
who certain characters were and certain milestone events. Right, uh, right which is different from the uh, speech being very specifically central to the core themes of the show. Right, which we should say is different from the other 48 days, which was, with the exception of Boone over the radio saying what he didn't say the first time, right. uh, distinctly different from everything else going on on the other side of the island. Uh, in terms of bad, uh, this is from, I'll just identify as Scott, not Steve, uh, <laughs> who, who gave the episode a flat zero and was, you know, very, very kind about it in, in, in the feedback email. So I do not mean to drag Scott slash Steve. Uh, who gave the we'll episode flat zero, uh, but want to, to give Scott's articulation over why this episode gets a zero. Uh, Scott says, over the preceding weeks, I have listened to a lot of discussion about what the worst episode in Lost History is. A lot of candidates have been mentioned, but none of them are the correct answer. Ever since I watched Expose the first time, I've wondered why there isn't a complete consensus about this episode as the worst in Lost History. Let's start with the fact that the very existence of Nikki and Paolo, Oceanic 815, fuselage section survivors who have been there the whole time but we never noticed until now, is ridiculous on its face. Yes, the show realized this and got rid of them quickly, but instead of quietly writing them back into oblivion or having them killed off suddenly as part of some other story, something I think we all could have celebrated, we get this convoluted episode that weaves them into earlier events of the show. Does anyone really believe Nikki and Paolo found the Pearl Station or the Beechcraft before anyone else and then kept it to themselves? They have a backstory that no one needed, uh, a ridiculous buried alive plot, and ultimately a complete waste of an episode of Lost. This episode exists solely to rid us of something that should never have happened in the first place. It's throwing good money after bad. It's a really interesting point. I'm, but I think what Scott is trying to argue here, I mean, first, I think he's trying to do a little bit of like whatever happened, happened, right? Of like, well, the issue with this episode is that Nikki and Paolo existed in the first place, which is like, yes, obviously the ideal decision would have been not having these characters exactly. appear in the first place. I don't think there's any disagreement on that. Yeah, but the the issue is that they can't do that. They haven't gone to the time travel season yet where they where they talk about those elements. So how do you do it? And I love the audacity. I mean, season three has brought a lot of audacious storytelling elements into loss. And I think the the audacity of being able to do this, and in my opinion, pull off what they were going for, I think should be commended here. I think so much of it is tongue-in-cheek that it's practically poking through the side of the face at this point in terms of them knowing like exactly what they're doing. No, nobody's supposed to believe that they were there the entire time. That's the point. That's what we're going for here. We're making a reference to it. It's meta. And I guess the other thing is that I mean, it's tough to say, Josh, would you think does Lost ever really get as meta as it does after Exposé here? Um, no, not quite like this. Certainly not. The other thing I'll add to that is there are times where the show uh, like kills a character for a gag. And with Arst, it works because like the character was set up specifically to, to be killed off like a gag. I think the same with yeah. like Froger, right? Yeah. Uh, like I think these are characters who like they build knowing that they will just be red shirts that like have like glorious red shirt deaths. But there's a, a very good example of a character who's not working. Um, for whatever reasons, and we've got a lot of time before we have to start unpacking it, um, but a character who's not working, who is a series regular, who they uh, give the literal arse treatment to, and that's Ilana. Uh, mm-hmm. And the fact that they just literally blow her up in the middle of a speech after she's like seemingly here for important reasons, but she's not working or clicking or connecting as a character anymore, so they just need to write her off because they've made this mistake. That feels like 
you don't you don't dwell on it too much, but it just it feels very unsatisfying, and that makes you feel like, well, what was the whole point of Alana in the first place? Whereas right. at least with Nikki and Paolo, who are again series regulars, these aren't just random guest stars that they put on the show. They were characters that they wanted to do a thing with, and quickly realized that this was a mistake, and we started doing the thing with these characters, and it's not working, and we need to figure out a way to do it. That they've already like invested enough press and literal money into these characters. Right. So we- essentially, to use a West Wing uh, aphorism, if they sent these two to Mandyville, I do not think it would be proper lost. You know, they're already at this point where they've they've you know it's throwing good money after bad, but Lost has to like it, and it's known. It's part of the thing, right? That in season three. Uh, Lost is like trying to figure out how to like survive and like tread water because they're not being allowed to end the show yet. Uh, and so they have these huge seasons of 20 plus episodes. Uh, and you know, there's a reason why when they start to end the show that the design is for each season to be shorter. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, yep. and I think, you know, they probably feel like, well, it's not going to work with Nikki and Paolo. We've invested some story energy into the ideas behind them. Let's just do a send up. Let's just let's just like have a good time and like have a blast with this and and you know have some fun with the audience. And for some people it works and then for some people it doesn't. And like if you can't just get past the argument of they should never have existed in the first place so they shouldn't have had an episode of them of their own, that's you know that's going to be tough to get past. But I think if you give the episode a shot on its own merit, there are great jokes in here. There are some legitimate great scenes. The John Locke scene is great. Uh, like there's just like even without comedy, like there's some great scenes in here. But the comedy for me is just top, 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 top notch, and the meta ness and like taking a moment to pause and breathe and acknowledge the ways in which like we know you love this show, but we, let, trust us, we make the show. This is an imperfect show. Uh, and we're going to talk to you about it, and we're going to talk to you about it through expose. We're going to expose yeah. the ways in which we uh, we have uh, we have we have messed yeah, up. As, as, Char- as Charlie says, it expose when he first reads the title of the script. You know, so I, you know, I I I hear the arguments that this episode shouldn't exist. I uh, disagree with them uh, about as 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 voraciously as I disagree with our our stances on the ending of this versus the variable. Uh, I would say even harder. Uh, I think mm-hmm. expose is a delight. I think expose should absolutely exist, and I'm thrilled that it does. Uh, Did, a favorite episode of television. Let's answer a what if here. Daniel Brennan asked, do you guys think it would have been possible for the writers to create Oceanic 815 passengers who we did not see until the beginning of season three that the audience actually was invested no, in? No, so I you don't think it was think like so. a, a sunk cost here that like yeah. it, it, it was a failed experiment to begin with? I don't think that they could have, uh, other than designing them like Arst, like Froger, literally yeah. like characters that are designed for like a couple of moments and then are, you know, there to basically like... Yeah, not, not occurring in a recurring basis for like, I think they made what, like probably four appearances between the two of them before this episode they are are literal contracted series regulars they are Mm -hmm. they are being paid and billed uh as if they are main cast they are main cast uh rodrigo santoro and keely sanchez are main cast members they're not guest stars they are main cast members that is very different from what they're doing with Daniel Roebuck as Leslie Arst and what's mm-hmm. his face. Oh, William, Math- William Mapather. Yeah, like those are those are characters who are who are des- Rose and Bernard. Those are characters yeah. who are designed to be able to to float in and out of the narrative. They are they are setting up characters here with Nikki and Paolo uh, to exist on the show in meaningful ways out of absolutely nowhere. 
Um, I don't think that there was a way that ever was going to work with anybody unless the character was like a real lights out character. But who do you need in that regard? Who shows up in that realm? Certainly not someone of the Nikki and Paolo mode who, as you've noted, really are just like Diet Boone and Shannon. Yeah. Um, and they and they didn't want to be like them, and they did. Let, let's take actually the other side of the things. Stefan Johnson talks about maybe even taking a bigger risk with these characters. Do you think this episode would have worked if this was the only time we ever saw Nikki and Paula? So it's actually very similar to the episode Lower Decks uh, that I mentioned before from Star Trek TNG. If Nikki and Paulo had not appeared on the show previously and we just dedicate an episode to these two characters who have never been seen before and will never be seen again, is that too big of a risk for you? I don't think that it makes sense to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why you bother with this episode. Uh, I don't think this episode exists unless they made the mistake that they made. Um, like, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't see it. Like, I don't see them doing, like, uh, the Dr. Arst episode. You know, like, I don't, I don't yeah. see the world where Born to Run uh, or, or Exodus was, you know, a Dr. Arst flashback. I mean, I guess with Exodus, they could have had a flashback segment that was about Dr. Arst. Yeah, it could have been, could have been like the yeah. early montage instead of Arst <laughs> going to the airport. You know, or they could have had that in addition somewhere, yeah. Um, but no, I don't think that it makes sense to do this unless, like, they've already screwed up. So yeah. Exodus can only exist if a tragic error has already right. been made. That's the thing, is that there's so much catharsis baked yes. into the DNA of yes. this episode that to have it like I feel like honestly it expose with Nick and Paolo as one-off characters honestly feels like something that you would see on like community or Rick and Morty that mm. feels like very up Dan Harmon's alley and that feels a little too meta for my taste especially like yes we are past the halfway point of loss but we're also only just past the halfway point of loss like you yeah. can certainly take risks with the show but I think that would be in my opinion a little bit too much it just and wouldn't to, make sense and if, if it would fail on the point that, like, you need to have a history with these characters. Uh, so Derek, during the, the live watch, uh, the great Derek Blaze had written in during the live watch and said, would Nikki have had time to save herself if she didn't bury the diamonds first? She has an extra 30 seconds to mm, talk on the beach. I do wonder if her vocal abilities. Well, I don't know, because Paolo was seemed to be able to his body went first and he was able to talk very cogently. I would imagine that it, would, it might just be 30 more seconds of Nikki babbling complete nonsense and nobody being able to understand what she's saying. Yeah, I think uh, it, it feels to me like if she hadn't buried the diamonds, because I don't know that it's just 30 seconds, you know? She yeah, may I mean, she had, to, she had like to run minute, to the beach. Two minutes to the clock. Yeah, she's not Kate. She can't run in like, she can't be the Flash here. Yeah. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I feel like if she, she, if she gives up the diamonds... Or if she just holds on to them, puts it in her pocket. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Look, Paolo did it. Why not you? And then people, or just or throw it into the jungle. Okay, and so she puts the she puts the diamonds in her pocket. Uh she she runs back to the beach. She lands in front of the ping pong table, and goes, Guys, I am about to pass out. I got bitten by a Medusa spider. I don't know if you ever talked to Dr. Arst about the Medusa spiders, but they bite you and you're paralyzed and it looks like you're dead, but you're not. Also, Paolo's in the jungle. Same thing happened to him. I'm about to go out. Peace. And then she drops. And then they're like, oh, okay. Well, that's a lot. All right. We will uh, do our best to keep you shaded and hydrated rather than like dry and toasting in the sun or like you said, (laughs) asphyxiating under a blanket uh, and then ultimately being buried alive. Uh, Yeah. And then if they search the body at one point, that would be weird and creepy because she's just said she's alive. Uh, So that's one thing. But if they do do that, 
And then Nikki comes back. They're like, hey, what's up with these diamonds? Nikki can retort, hey, what's up with you touching my body uh, while I have no control over my body? Yeah, I was the one that was going to torture Paolo, not you. And B, you've never asked me what I do. And what I do is I work on TV and expose. And this was uh, a glamorous thing that I bought in Australia that I was bringing home for myself. And those are my diamonds. And you could be a severe dick right now and not give them back. But do you really want to be that person? So I feel like Nikki probably should have pocketed the diamonds and just run back to the beach and she'd still be alive. Here's the thing. Does Nikki tell them about Paolo? You know, like, because did you think that she might actually have the capacity to, like, let Paolo die while she be, survives? She never meant him to die, right? Like, that was never part no, of the she plan. No, she just wanted to, quote unquote, have fun with him for those eight hours. Yeah. Uh, like, she never wanted him to die. And also, it wouldn't make sense within the story that she's just told, I think. Like, I think, like, if she's telling them, like, I'm about to be paralyzed, they'll find Paolo. And at the very least, they'll see him and be like, oh, is he paralyzed, too? Maybe we should wait. Yeah. No, <laughs> at this point, if, if the two of them end up coming clean with the story, maybe they're going to be the ones instead of Sawyer up for banishment in the next episode. Um, Brenna did write in and said, where do you rate the way that Nikki and Paolo die as far as a way to die? Mike, this is where I will agree. This is a horrible way to go. Oh, yeah. This, this is this is by far There's the no worst way to this die. This is a horrible way to go. Because I'm trying to think about like the because like you could say like, oh, you know, getting exploded like ours. I mean, I would say Boone probably had a pretty terrible way to die considering how slow and prolonged it was to the point where they were going to cut off his leg. Right. Yeah. Like I think that, I, honestly, I, yeah. I've, of everyone who died, I think the ones who got exploded by far had the best way to do it. Like your Michaels, your Saeeds, your Jin and Sons are, are pretty bad up there, too. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of my fear of open water, but I do not like drowning. This Poor Joanna. Bad, this is definitely bad. This is definitely a bad one. Um, ben Martell says, did Mr. Echo have a premonition about this episode? Uh, Echo did say you're next. And Nikki and Paolo were the next victims of the monster. So did Echo call the shot, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't ask the monster told him, like, I'm going to disguise myself as a spider mm-hmm. and tell all the other spiders to bite Nikki and Paolo yeah. so they think they're paralyzed and then bury them alive. Yeah, I think that could be it. That could be it. Wow. Uh, Echo. Well, screw Desmond. Echo has the true superpower then. Uh, final one from Stefan Johnson. Would you guys watch Expose the TV show and then podcast about it? Hells yeah. Yeah, though I think Razzle it's... Razzle dazzle. I think it would it'd be more of like a Robin and Kivanita podcast. Like, I do think that Expose seems like the perfect season three, episode seven, like mm-hmm. what the hell is this show type of type of slice of life. I don't know how tired we would get of talking about the adventures of Crystal and Autumn every week, depending on what they're doing. Such disrespect for a show that took four seasons to build up to the Cobra reveal, Mike. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's clearly got you, a very meticulously planned arc. Well, yeah, let's ask about that. Do you think that the writers of Expose and director Stephen Williams, did they plan the Cobra reveal from the very beginning, or did they leave it open-ended, building no. the plane as they flew and <laughs> said, like, okay, I guess, uh, yeah, Mr. Lashad's the Cobra. It was part of the plan the whole time. They knew everything the, the whole way through. Um, what's the report from the Jim Fells music analysis beat? So there is a, you know, an expose theme that Jakino creates called Sweet Expose. And actually, uh, there was a Sweet video podcast. Sweet Expose. Ba, ba, buried. <laughs> uh, so there's actually a video podcast because in addition to the Damon and Carlton podcast, back in the days of like the popularized iPod video, they would release video podcasts. And I believe from this week, they actually went behind the scenes with Jakino when it came to scoring this episode. Uh, but the expose theme is only going to play one more time in the series. And it actually plays in probably one of the most 
real life expose moments in the show's history, which is in the beginning of the end when Hurley is driving the car being chased by the cops. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think I think it makes sense, right? It's, it's like you hear like the bongos. Like it definitely yeah. seems out of like one of those seventies cop shows if yeah, you're trying to drive through fruit stands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love to have seen Hurley buy his way into Expose. That should have been something he did with his money. Yeah, he's like, in in memory of Howard Zuckerman, I'm planning a reboot of Expose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, All right, let's get into some, let's do some points. Let's do some rankings. Uh, I think that the MVP points, this is where it gets... uh, uh, a little harder. I think yeah, there's, the there's a lot points, to give up. A lot to give out here. The LVPs, I think, are pretty straightforward. So we could start there. Uh, you know, Nikki and Powell are getting everything. <laughs> right. So it's going to be ultimately three to Nikki, two to Paolo. Well, my is that question a... to you on this, Mike, is could we just give Nikki and Paolo the points on all of the categories, and so they get a half point each. I don't know if, how it adds up. Well, because then what would happen is, because yeah, I, I think Paolo was, de- like, I don't think Nikki got any LVP points up to this point. So Nikki gets three LVP points here, two from you, one from me. Uh, Paolo gets two, one from me, one from you, and Paolo had an existing one, at least one right. existing one. I think I think he had two, because there was the, there was the, some jerkish stuff they did, and I believe we right. got one. We, I think we gave two, actually, for the whole takes a shit thing with the, with the, with the cost of living. So, so Nikki ends at negative three, and Paolo ends at negative four. So I know that there were people who had been worried, um, looking at you, Stefan, uh, that we were going to end this thing without Nikki and Paolo landing in the red. Of course they were going to land in the red. And yeah, even just, if, like, their existence means that an episode like Expose can exist and is an episode that's well worth celebrating, uh, I still feel like, uh, you know, they're still pieces of shit. Well, so the, <laughs> the to the answer day. Stefan's question, it honestly comes down to visibility. Like, we pointed this out. I think in retrospect, while Nikki and Paolo are remembered as a stain upon Lost, they're actually rather innocuous until this episode. Like, they've appeared in drips and drabs. I think the cost of living might honestly be, like, the most we see them. Whereas Boone and Shannon were so front and center during some really aggravating moments, especially in season one, between, you know, Shannon's constant complaining, between I run a business. Like, there were some real jerkish moments from Boone and Shannon that were much more in the spotlight than Nikki and Paolo. So right. it was more rife for the, the LVPs. I would say, like, it does feel wrong a little bit for Paolo to be below Nikki, just because I do feel like Nikki was way worse in this episode than Paolo, but Paolo proved himself worse on Island, I suppose, so I guess... And they're close to each other enough, so yeah, I guess it bounces fine. out. It's, they're a three and a four. It, it, it works out. Uh, they're they're terrible. They're dead. They died horribly. Uh, they, they died so that Expose could live. Uh, it's a trade that I will take. Let's get into the MVPs. This is a little bit harder to do, because I think there's a lot of people who are great in this episode. Uh, and even though he doesn't do much, I just feel like to start things off, how do we not give an MVP point to Billy D. Williams? Like how do <laughs> the we real from, life actor, Billy D. Williams. How do we walk away from an episode where Billy D. Williams shows up as Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian himself and not give him an MVP point. So I just feel like that has to happen. Like I feel like yeah. in the same way that Nikki and Paolo have to swallow up all the LVPs, I think Billy D. Williams requires uh, his presence necessitates an MVP point. Plus, you gotta commend him, he's doing great cover-up for being the Cobra, right? Like, he immediately foists the blame onto poor Corvette after he kills her. Like, 
he's he's got them he's got been undercover for four seasons at this point and it looks like it's going for my first mvp point it's gonna be it's a little mixed he's not completely in the positive but i gotta give a point to sawyer here uh because he figures a lot of stuff out you know he he goes off on his own because he's the one who figured out the dirt under the fingernails and i think this is again a, a nice key clue as to where sawyer is going to end up in a, another universe and he does do the right thing and sort of just dumping away the worthless diamonds in the end and he really doesn't cause that much harm other than some suspicion so i think this is actually a fairly impressive episode for sawyer um, so I'll give a shout out to Derek Blaze who, who watched this episode with me in the Discord, uh, for my MVP point. Uh, my, my next two MVP points, in fact, are, uh, uh, as decided on the watch that we did in the Discord. Uh, Hurley gets, uh, gets my first. And that's Derek who really put the argument forward of like, this is a great episode of Hurley the Leader. He's trying to get the band together. He's trying to really solve this thing. He really cares about what's happened here. He knows about Expose. He's just like showing all of his strengths on his sleeve on his sleeve. He's he's empathetic here. Uh he's curious. Uh I think that it's it's a great Hurley episode for sure. So I think Hurley deserves an MVP point here. I'm torn here, Josh. Try to convince me one way or the other. I have one more MVP point. Do I give it to Arst or do I give it to Sun? Um it, you know, it's really up to you. Sun has an. I'm not giving Sun the point because I have a a a pick that. So I'll go first. Uh, yeah, you so go, my, you go first. Let's leave like the the actual nail biter. Sure, to me at sure. The end so so Charlie is getting an MVP point uh, for coming clean to Sun. Coming clean, coming clean, and and taking the moment to like air that dirty laundry uh, and say like Sun, remember in season two when you got kidnapped by the others? It wasn't them. It was me. It was a stupid thing. It wasn't them. It wasn't them. I did this. I did it. It was me. Uh, And as I was watching the episode with a group of about 15 other people, um, there was a lot of campaigning for Charlie to get an MVP point for being self-aware, for volunteering this information, for owning up to what he did. And also a lot of people being very concerned that when we're at the end of this whole thing, Charlie's going to be in the red. Uh, and so, 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 so this is what sort of like us, uh, like, you know, pre- preparing ourselves sort mm-hmm. of like, uh, yeah, like preparing the runway for that Charlie plane to hopefully so, take off. So I, I already knew Billy D. Williams was going to get a point. Uh, Derek had convinced me at this point that Hurley deserves a point. So then the question for me was, should it be Charlie? Should it be Sun? Or should it be the smoke monster for killing Nikki and Paolo? Uh, and I put it up to an official poll. We created wow. a poll. And it can do democracy. We did democracy. And by uh, we had Sun, Charlie, and the monster. Those were the three options in order. And it was a 292 vote, overwhelmingly in favor of Charlie. So okay. I have to, I, I, I counted the votes. They, they revealed the answer. Charlie wins. Uh, I think I probably would have given it to Sun. Arst wasn't really on my radar. Um, the other person that I'd consider giving an MVP point if we had the room for it is Vincent for trying to save the lives of these two people who were not dead. Uh, but uh, once again, Vincent, who's just not really showing up, this this really good boy who's just really not showing up much in the MVP, LVP category. Uh, I would have given it to Sun if uh, if not for the vote for Charlie. Yeah, it's tough because I just really love seeing Daniel Roebuck here. Like, it is peak arsed of him being an a-hole and belligerent and besides himself. We, we didn't mention the Animal Farm reference as he walked up and down the speech being like, the pigs are walking upright. But I feel like sort of, I guess, following your lead, if you give a point to Charlie for apologizing to Son, 
I have to sort of in turn give a point to Sun for forgiving Sawyer, right? It would feel weird to acknowledge the Charlie point and not acknowledge the Sun point for what she did. Granted, she may have her own reasons to do that, but like it's a Charlie. I think like Charlie and Sun together sort of like tag team the burying of that plot point from the long con, and so I feel like let's let's tag team this pairing as well. That and Sun got a slap in as well, and it was a badass scene. So I guess Sun's great character moments unfortunately outweigh the comedy value that was dr ars tier and so i'm, I'm gonna give that i'm gonna give the point to sun i'm gonna give a uh, honor the quan in this episode i think it's the right call i think it's the right call uh i think i think sun over ars makes makes sense to me uh so those are your mvp and it also means that now sun has as many points as Jin does in for season three they both are out now at one and a half each all right that's great um, all right, so MVP, uh, LVPs are settled. Let's do the 4.2 stars. I said it last week that Expose is getting a 4.2. I am not wavering. I'm giving Expose a perfect score. Uh, score. Um, I will, I will acknowledge that, like, uh, sort of in, in the same way that, like, Trisha Tanaka is an avatar of an idea, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like, Trisha Tanaka is an avatar for me of, like, the levity of Lost and, like, the hangout quality of Lost. Uh, and that, like, to say that spinning your wheels is a marker of poor quality, I disagree. Uh, I think sometimes you can spin your wheels and have just a total blast doing it. I think Exposé, uh, much like Annie's pen, Mike, is not a pen, it's a principle. Wow, uh, look at you with the reference. How about that? Good, right? Uh, yeah, so does this mean that at the end actually a monkey comes in yes. and, un- and unburies <laughs> Nikki and Paolo? Well, the monkey taking the pen is sort of early burying yeah. Nikki and Paolo alive. Uh, you didn't see that one coming. Uh, so I, I give Exposé a 4.2, and that score is further calloused in 4.2 territory, entrenched in 4.2 territory, not just because of personal taste, but also because... There are the ones and zeros of the world from certain parties that I think aren't really giving the episode a proper chance and aren't mm. giving it a proper uh, a fair shake. Because uh, I think if you were to give Exposé a fair shake, I cannot imagine how you land uh, and anywhere near a zero or a one, mm. personally. But to, to each their own, I know you won't be nearly as high. You've, you've got your grading rubric, but that's, that's partly to explain the, the 4.2. Is it, it's a counterbalance measure. Uh, make sure expose is 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 uh at least not as uh you know expose is probably going to end up being like fairly mid-tier in our overall ranking right might would be my guess true uh, true to its polarizing nature it lands somewhere right think, in the middle and I, and I think that that is totally fair for like a community ranking but for like my personal set of episodes of lost that i love expose is right near the top of the list and is one of those episodes, much like Trisha Tanaka, I could just throw this episode on at any given time and I will have a great time with it. Yeah, which is, you know, very pertinent uh, considering you know, when this is coming out and people are looking for perhaps a lark. So that being said, yeah, I'm, I'm not as high. I definitely have some great feelings towards the episode. Like you said, like it is audacious. I feel like it's pulled off and it warms like my nostalgic heart to see moments and characters from season one brought back, even if, you know, it's like season one Boone and Shannon and they're not exactly the most delightful characters. A lot of comparisons are drawn to Trisha Tanaka, which I gave a 3.8. And I like Trisha Tanaka more as an episode than Expose. I feel like Trisha Tanaka does so much more with a lot of character stuff between Hurley, between Charlie, between Sawyer. Those are really like the big three character arcs that exist through Trisha Tanaka that make it such a great episode. I know that's not the intention of Expose, 
But the fact that it's missing from there definitely takes it down a couple pegs. Coupled with, I'm still not a fan, uh, and that's what I, I will agree with our with our goose egg giver here about how I do not think the whole finding of the pearl is really. I, I, it's not something that I personally like in the episode, even though I do understand the tongue and ching nature of it all. So I only went slightly below. I gave it a three point six, uh, and it looks like you know, like you said, we've got a zero and a one. I see a couple of low twos, but I think. For the most part, we pretty much have skewed mid-threes to a number of 4.2s. It's going to lead to a 3.3 overall from the listeners. And so, with your 4.2, with my 3.6, with the audience's 3.3, that gives an average score of 3.704 expose, which puts it... We're in 14 episodes. Josh, it is right in the middle at number seven, slightly above Enter 7-7, which now leaves being number seven, and right below Not in Portland at 3.76. Yeah, um, and whatever. You know, I, I think uh, for, for it to be where it's landed, I, I don't agree with it, but I get it. It makes sense. Uh, it's a divisive episode. There are people who are going to be very low on it, people who are going to be very high on it. Uh, I think like the high highs, you could certainly make the argument that you people are crazy. Uh, <laughs> just in the same way that I'm saying like the zeros are insane to me. Uh, so it it is the most polarizing episode of Lost. Uh, and that includes the one with the polar bear cages. Exactly. Uh, and, I, and I, and I love it and I love it so much. And I will, I will treasure this episode forever. Uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's a real road marker for me, Mike, that we have made it to this point in the podcast that we've talked through expose. Um, you know, we're, we're at this place where there's just a lot of mile markers that are happening right now mm-hmm. on Lost. I gotta say, Next week, not really one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, I was going to say, like, I don't think Expose is in danger of falling no, under number seven because next so. week is Left Behind, which, yeah. you know, what you talked about sort of like the race to the end that the post You can post take Hydra it or leave provides. it behind, Left Behind. And honestly, it's a, it's one of the biggest nothing burgers of the rest of season three. Even, even Par Avion had that really, you know, fun ending. Left Behind is an episode that I've always been like resoundingly meh about uh you know i i never liked the whole main storyline they literally took like a trope you find in a sitcom and applied it to two characters that would not get along it's a kate flashback that does reintroduce cassidy we do get you know like you said there might be some hurley and sawyer stuff that is worth picking into but i think coming especially coming from the man from tallahassee to this to that is going to be a bit of a step down yeah, but the good news is that I know I know we often say like it's the brig, the man behind the curtain, greatest hits and through the looking glass. That's like just like the super dynamite four in a row. Oh, don't um, say dynamite after we talked about ours so much. I know, I know, but I I even think like starting with one of us and then Catch Twenty Two, which is a, a a slam dunk episode for me, um, and DOC. I, I, I yeah, I, I think I think do I think after this, we're pr- besides DOC. I think we're pretty much in the clear. Yeah, but I think like DOC has some remarkable Yunjin Kim stuff and uh, the Return of King Daddy Kwan. So mm-hmm. like, there's there's a lot to be excited about there for us personally. Um, so I do think like after Left Behind, we are effectively cooking with gas. Uh, and I don't mind like after like the few weeks that we've had, uh, both in reality but also in in the Lost canon that we've been discussing. 
I don't mind having one where maybe we could just like sit back and like do like a, a tight 90 minutes would be great. <laughs> like you are jinxing the hell out of us. Are you are you handcuffing us to that time? Are you are you I, chaining I love, us to that time I limit? I would love to do a tight 90 mic would be great. <laughs> well, listen. I will outright say that's probably impossible, but yeah. let's see if we can shoot for um, it. I will also say that I'm I'm going to be uh I'm I'm going away for a little while next week, uh, so I'll be recording this from from the road with internet quality that I don't know not literally while I'm on the road, uh, yeah. but with uh, internet quality that I, I cannot currently attest to. So if there's like uh, problems with, uh, with, with the recording and scheduling with anything, we appreciate in advance anyone being flexible with the fact that maybe uh, Left Behind could come, uh, could, could, could leave behind its traditional Friday spot. Of course, uh, if you are one of those people who, who waits until four in the morning Eastern time for Down the Hatch to drop, uh, on a Friday, uh, we appreciate your patience with Exposite mm-hmm. because we missed the mark on that um, for reasons that I hope are self-evident. Um, yeah, you know, well, this- well, also there's been a, there's been a lot of like timing stuff as well. Josh, you and I have done a number of other podcasts mm-hmm. this week yes. that had to be recorded in the other days. So unfortunately, we knew we don't we can't wait to talk about Exposite. And honestly, the time we're talking about this, it was a perfect way to end the oh, week. My in God, my opinion, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I think it's 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 a matter of there's a lot going on in the middle of a lot going. On. Exactly. Uh, and so to get an episode that's a total lark like expose, uh, I, I was thrilled to do it. I hope that people enjoyed getting to relive this one. Uh, it's just a, it's just such a blast. So left behind coming next week, coming out next week. Uh, hopefully in the normal spot. But if it's a little bit dicey, just just bear with us. Uh, you could send your your feedback to us for that podcast down the hatch at post show recaps You can talk to us in the post show recaps patron Discord if you Please sign up. Do. For the Patreon at that Discord level, yes, please do. Uh, it's a it's a great time, which is the sequel the to I Do, I believe. Uh, please do, yeah. That's uh, that's going to be in Lost too. Um, Mike, anything else? So yeah, so Jessica, Lisa, and I are covering Star Trek Discovery here on Posture Recaps. This past week's episode might, in my opinion, be one of my favorite episodes of the series. If you're talking about a show like Lost, where you weigh character versus plot, this was a very character-based episode, which is rare for Star Trek Disco, and I cannot wait to dig into it with Jessica Lee. So that is going on. Over on Rob has a podcast proper. I finished up my Big Brother coverage on the B&B. Rob, Jess, and I are fervently digging into the amazing race, which has been so much fun so far. And Josh, not a long, long time ago... You and I and Rob Sessonino got together to simulate a season of Survivor featuring Star Wars characters that did indeed feature a character played by the one and only MVP himself, Billy D. Williams. That's correct. Lando Calrissian. Uh, and it's a great ride. I don't want to spoil anything about it, but we have a lot to say about Billy D. Williams and Lando specifically on that one. And it was a really, really, really fun time. So check that out over at... RHAP, and if you're thirsty for more Star Wars coverage, there's the weekly Mandalorian stuff that Kevin Latanya and myself are doing, dropping on Mondays. Kevin and I are also talking Spider-Man on Everything is Super right now. That is our next focus following our Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead World Beyond with myself, Jessica Lee, and The Great Chappelle. That's a blast. A really, really, really fun <laughs> podcast. Uh, and the Yang in their podcast, The Avatar, The Last Airbender Rewatch. Zach and Jake are continuing their march through season one. And that's just the forward-facing stuff. That's not even accounting for all yeah, the Yeah, we're podcasts. not talking about that sweet booty. 
you know, the sweet booty known as Austin Powers that, we're, that we just talked about. Oh, yeah, about we, on- we talked about that on Push. And literally, it's, it was just an hour and a half of me, Emily, and Josh just, like, quoting the movie. And it was an absolute delight. I also uh, d- dug up a deep of my own buried diamonds, if you will, as to my own links with Austin Powers and how it won me Mr. Muhlenberg, mm-hmm. which was referenced on this podcast back in the day. So be sure to check that out. It was really fun. Really fun. And then the community building podcast is happening over on the patron feed, the Watching with Wiggler podcast. So plenty happening on Poe's show. Too much, some might say. To me, not quite enough. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're constantly grinding towards the point of too much, though. Uh, so next week, Left Behind. Mike, I believe you had a music cue, so uh, why don't you take it away? Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.